Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff this week on the show. It is our annual year in preview episode as we look ahead to the movies and video games of 2019, make some predictions, play some games, answer some listener mail about 2019. Should be fun. We're also going to be talking about the bombshell Metroid Prime 4 news from Nintendo this week, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as some very late-breaking Dragon Ball video game announcements. Uh, And yeah, that'll be a show. It's it's just a... we, We were a couple days ago, Sean, wondering... Are we going to have enough to talk about? And then a bunch of weird news broke, and then we decided to do this year in preview thing, and now we have a five-page outline. Yes, so now we have more than enough to talk about, and I'm very glad that the the year of Dragon Ball on this podcast continues with yet another like significant topic on this podcast being a, a Dragon Ball-related element. Well, now that Doctor Who got you know shot in the kneecaps, uh, I think it's good that a different series that we really love is resurgent, so we can have something to love yes. uh, in the world of television. It's it's good. It's good. It's very all good. right. It'd be great if we could have Doctor Who and Dragon Ball, but you know, you know, I'm we not... can't be greedy, Jonathan. Can't be greedy. All right. So, Sean, let's go ahead and just get started with some stuff. What you been up to? Still playing Destiny? Yep, that's that's basically it for me. I'm still deep in Destiny 2 Forsaken. Um, I've I finished the like main story stuff. Well, like most of the main story stuff. There's sort of like an A campaign in Destiny 2 Forsaken, and then they kind of bump you out into okay, now do some like random stuff and get your light level up a little bit, and then there's some more like kind of like an epilogue almost to that story and another area that opens up. Um, so I've done all of that. I finished the the A campaign in Forsaken shortly after we did the last podcast. And so I've really spent the last week sort of just tooling around and doing the kind of like the daily challenges and the weekly challenges. And I've had a tremendous amount of fun doing that in Destiny. It's just, it's a good time. It's fun to be back playing Destiny. It's it's nice having Destiny be really good again. I agree it. because I've been playing it too. Awesome. Good. Yeah. I got Forsaken. Actually, Sean, this is... This is just how weird the world of video games and physical media is. It was cheaper for me to buy the physical Forsaken box set that just gave me another copy of the base game. And by another copy, I mean literally if you buy the Destiny 2 Forsaken box, the disc inside is just the launch day Destiny 2 disc, which Mm -hmm. I assume has none of the existing code of Destiny 2 on it. And then it's just a code for Forsaken and all the other DLC. So you're basically just buying a box with a code in it, and when you put the disc in, it's 60 gigabytes of updates, because it has to replace, I assume, everything that's on that disc. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just have to imagine they printed off a shit ton of Destiny 2 discs whenever when that game went gold originally. Like, they would be dumb to print off new discs, because you have to be online to play the game anyway, so it's yes. not like there's some person out in the middle of nowhere that's playing destiny 2 without internet so physical physical media on the ps4 and xbox one are so deeply strange to me because they basically just exist as drm checks you know Mm -hmm. because most video games even by launch day by six months after launch day what's on those discs is pretty much irrelevant and for games like destiny you can't play them with the disc only anyway so it's like I don't know. I, I'm really curious what role physical media plays in the next generation, because I don't think they're going to upgrade to bigger Blu-ray discs. Those are too expensive. Yeah. But games are way bigger than 50 gigabytes now. So I have no idea. It's a weird... That's a conversation for another day, but it's a weird thing that's going on. No, for sure. But anyway, I, I got Destiny 2 Forsaken for only 25 bucks, which was good. 
Amazon had a good deal on that. So I got Forsaken. I've been, uh, let me tell you the story of how it started for me because I have not played Destiny on my PS4 in a while. I, I played through the original, like, vanilla Destiny on PS4 as a hunter. And then around the time Taken King came out, I switched over to Xbox because that's where my brother was playing it and we wanted to play it together. So I started over there, and then that's also where I played Destiny 2, but now my Xbox is in a box, my brother has a PS4 also, and I'm like, if I'm going to pay for Forsaken, it's not any more or less to do it one way or the other, so I'm just going to play it on PS4, because I'd rather play games there. And um, so I did that, I went in, my original Hunter character was still there from my old PS4 days. So I'm like, okay, that's neat. But I haven't played as a hunter for a while, so my plan was I was going to create a Titan character, use the character boost that they give you, because they give you a free character boost to level 30, so you can just get right into Forsaken. And so I thought, okay, I'll use that on my Titan, because I know Titan better, and that'll be more like jumping in where I left off. And then I do want to play some hunter, but I think I would rather like leave that as the file I use if I want to go back to like the original campaigns, because if you use the level boost, you can't go back and play the first three campaigns. Right, yeah. um, so I thought, and that would be fun, because I haven't played Hunter in Destiny 2 at all, so it would be a good way to do it. But when I went to use the character boost, I accidentally used it on the wrong character. <laughs> and, and I used it on the Hunter. So it boosted the Hunter up, and I didn't realize it because both of them were Awokens, and I just, I looked for the Awoken character, and I just, I fucked up. And so I'm like, ah, shit, okay, how much is it to buy another character boost? Because it's not that I don't want to play as Hunter. I just, like, I had a plan. So let's see if I can do this. So I go into the shop, like, how much is a is a boost? Sean, how much would you guess a boost is to level 30 in Destiny 2? I'm going to say $10. Yeah, and if it had been between 5 or $10, I think I might have done it. Just swallowed the cost. You know, we would have seen. It's $30. Ooh, wow. Yeah. It is 30 fucking dollars to do a character boost in Destiny 2. One dollar per level. One dollar per level, something that takes them exactly zero dollars to program into the game. So, uh, wow. That is... I did not buy that. Suffice it to say, I am playing a hunter. I'm getting used to it. Welcome to, the, welcome to the club. It's a little daunting because there is just so much in Destiny 2 now in terms of abilities and everything. And the three classes have been differentiated a lot more than they've been in a while. So it's taken me a little getting used to, like, using some of the Hunter's, like, mobility stuff and the dodge roll and things like that. But uh, I'm having a lot of fun. Like, there's no... It's not bad to play the Hunter. Hunters are awesome. It's just it wasn't necessarily my plan. So that's been a little odd. Um, I really want to know who made the decision that that would be a lot... Like, who's buying that for 30 bucks? That's... Forsaken digitally is only $40. So I guess they're saying that if you buy Forsaken... $30 $30 of it is the character boost and all the new game stuff that they spent a year programming. That's only $10. Yeah, that's 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 weird. Like it just it, it just doesn't even seem like a good business decision cuz that's so expensive. I just can't see anybody doing it. Like if, if it, was it was $20, it would still be way too expensive, but I could still see someone buying it for 20 bucks. It's very hard for me to imagine someone paying $30 for that. If it were between 5 and $10, I think tons of people would do it because it's fun to have alts in Destiny. Yeah. Like, it's fun. I would love to have one of each character. Part of why I don't is the leveling. If I could pay $5 and level up, like, the other two classes, I'd probably do that. Like, that would be a good use of money. And, like, as microtransactions go, it would not be the most predatory thing in the world. But $30, like, they're just pricing themselves out of anyone considering that. 
Yeah, that's that's really weird. But anyway, it like it's my fault that I used the wrong one. I'm having a lot of fun with the hunter. Um, and you know, it is my original Destiny character who's been who's been just neglected for for years now. I have not been playing as her. Um, but anyway, so I started Forsaken. Forsaken's really good. I agree with most everything you said last week. Uh, the first level is fantastic, and particularly. The cutscenes in Destiny at this point are so fucking good, it's crazy. Like, they mm-hmm. are full-on Blizzard level. Every cutscene is an event, and they're fantastic. And it's actually one thing I would notably say Destiny at this point is better at than Halo was back in the day. Because I loved Halo, loved Halo's storytelling. Halo's cutscenes were not, like, the best thing in the world. They were, like, serviceable, but... Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the best story stuff in Halo didn't even happen during cutscenes. But when there's a Destiny 2 cutscene comes on, it's like... It's like I'm watching a great Saturday morning cartoon. Like, I want to get out a bowl of cereal and just be like, yeah, they're saying really stupid shit, but it's so fun. And there's the scene in in the first campaign level where Cade just goes wild doing all of his different abilities. And it's it's a blast. And then when they do Cade's big death scene, it's really well done. Uh, and then the way the game opens up, like, it's a really different kind of campaign for Destiny 2. Mm-hmm. And that, combined with all the things they've changed for year 2... I did feel fish out of water for a little while. I don't know if you felt the same way, like, figuring out where everything is, because, like, they've moved a lot of stuff around in your menus. Um, they've got all the dailies and weeklies and all the heroic stuff back from Destiny 1, which is great, and it's really robust. I agree. I've done a little bit of that, Sean, and I agree. They've That's exactly what the game needed, which is really cool. I haven't touched the Gambit thing yet, but that seems fun. Um, I got to do one of the PlayStation-exclusive strikes that I missed last year. Um, oh, congratulations. Yeah, it was it was fine. Um <laughs> I wasn't missing much. But anyway, so yeah, like like once, now that I kind of have my, like I'm now at the part where you have to go fight the six bosses um, Mm -hmm. in in whatever order you want to go do it. And I tried one of them today. I tried the one, the the dude on the motorcycle, the rider, and I couldn't beat it. It's really hard. I'm going to have to go grind a little bit. Um, But uh, it's really fun. Like I'm glad that this is a difficult Destiny campaign because I think... Destiny had gotten a little too easy in its campaign stuff over the years. I'm not sure if I like this campaign more than the base Destiny 2 campaign, just because that one was so fucking good. But this one's really cool. It's really unique. It doesn't feel like anything else in Destiny so far. The new area in the Reef is fantastic, and it just... uh, Everything they've ever done with the Reef in Destiny is really good. Like, going back to vanilla Destiny, it's one of my favorite areas, and them building that out is one of the smartest decisions they've ever made. So I'm having a blast. It's a lot of fun. I've got that fucking bow and arrow, Sean. It is the craziest thing that they decided to do a bow and arrow in Destiny, but it is awesome. I love it. I've got that. I got a sidearm, which is my favorite kind of gun in the game. I've got both of those, and I'm good to go. It's fun. I'm on the full loot grind. It's it's the same feeling as when Taken King came out, where there's so much new stuff in the game, it feels like starting from scratch again, and it is really exciting to just constantly be getting new gear and and matching it up against each other and getting rid of the gear and, and using new ones. Just the loot grind is in full effect in a fun way. Uh, and I should also say, the music is so good. It was yeah. good in base Destiny. Like, Destiny has had pretty good, not pretty good, pretty amazing video game music for a while. Some of the best in the industry. Um, but there's a there's a theme that plays during that first level when you're doing the fighting in the Prison of Elders that just blew my socks off. And I, I can't wait to, to go pick up the Forsaken soundtrack, which I assume is out. Uh, because... That's that's one of the biggest improvements. Destiny 1 had good music, but it was a little unmemorable. Destiny 2 is, like, 
top-notch, grade-A video game music. And just combined with everything else, the presentation and the polish, like no other game this generation just plays as well as Destiny does. Even if I still have, you know, some concerns about maybe the larger grind outside of that, which I'm hoping as I play more Forsaken, maybe it's it's fixed some of that for me. Um, I'm excited to be back into it and and dipping my toes back into Destiny. It's because it's been a while. I, I didn't touch it at all in 2018. Yeah, no, yeah, because obviously I, we talked about it on the last last week's podcast, but I was in the same boat of being away for so long. And it is just like, it's a really good combination of both feeling like really kind of almost nostalgic and familiar, while also being very new, which is the thing I like about coming back to a game like this I'm, mm-hmm. that I know so much about, but it's changed so much in relearning and reacclimating to how the game has changed is really fun. It's the video game equivalent of riding a bike, though, because like uh-huh. Destiny is... Because it's, it's hard. The Forsaken content is tough, and I think they build some really smart and sometimes very uh, sadistic combat encounters. And yet you just you have so many tools at your disposal. I just I was playing against a boss today, and I just fell into this rhythm of I kind of didn't even have to think of it. I just knew what to do, and it felt like you were just making music with the game back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it is such an amazing, fun thing to be doing. Like, just pulling out my bow and, like, I'm going to do headshot, headshot, headshot. Okay, uh, someone's coming up. Pull out my sidearm. You know, shoot, shoot, shoot. Oh, there's a bunch of enemies over there. Grenade. And now I'm going to do my throwing knife. And I haven't done that since, like, 2013. Oh, I love that throwing knife. Oh, and the throwing knife is the fucking best. It's, it's the reason the, why I've stuck with the hunter the whole time is I just love the goddamn throwing knife so it's, much. It's still so good. I'd forgotten what I was missing. And it's just, you're just into it and using all these abilities. Like, I think the closest another game I've played that comes to this level of just just immersive, all-encompassing gameplay is like Spider-Man last year, where the combat just made you feel like, I'm going to use every tool. But Destiny does that in this first-person shooter context, and it is so immensely satisfying. And Forsaken, the, the campaign content, and I assume the other content that's added, really makes use of all of that. Like, as a game design thing, it's just it's very well designed. Yeah. And I know you, you just said that you, hadn't, um, you haven't played Gambit, right? No. Okay, because that is, I think Gambit is actually like low key the best thing that they added to Destiny. Nice. Because um, yeah, I only started playing it two days ago. Like, it was just something that I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was just another kind of crucible, new crucible mode or something. So I didn't go to it. But then eventually, I was like, ah, oh, I might as well get this daily challenge and get the gear up. And Gambit is fucking awesome it's the most fun i've had playing a competitive multiplayer game in like years like literally like three or four years probably um because what they do is it's it's the smartest use of the entire sandbox of destiny like leveraged to a like competitive mode they've done so far where it's a mix of pve and pvp and basically how the mode works is when you it's consists of three different rounds or it's like basically best best of two or first to two or best of three and you load in with your team of four people and on like an identical map somewhere else on um, the enemy team of four people load in and they spawn in like a big group of enemies somewhere on the map that you go and hunt down. And when you kill an enemy, they will drop an orb. And then you have, to, and as you collect those orbs, you go back to this bank that's in your base and cash them in for points. Um, but like where the mode gets really interesting and competitive is one, periodically over the course of the match, a portal will open up that will allow one of your players to 
transport to the enemy team's battlefield. And so you can then kill the enemy players, although you're only able to be there for about 30 seconds or obviously until you're killed. So you have to like very quickly go and take out the enemies and you can see above their heads how many orbs they're carrying because you, it's kind of like Headhunter and Halo Reach. Like as you're picking them up, you're holding them. And if you die while you're holding them, they're just gone. So you can teleport to the enemy side and kill them and try to deny them orbs that way. And obviously the enemy are, enemies are coming over to your side. And the other thing you do is that as you build up orbs, if you cash in a bunch at once, it will then spawn a special enemy on the enemy's team near their bank called a blocker. That will make it so that they can't spend points, they can't like bank their orbs in until they kill that blocker enemy. And so you're incentivized to build up a bunch of orbs and then cash them all at once to keep the enemy from cashing their orbs in. And it's just so much fucking fun because the way the rounds go back and forth as you're like, you know, trying to hold up a bunch of orbs and get like, if you get 15 out of same that one time and bank them, that's how you get the most powerful large blocker enemy to spawn. But while you're doing that, it's like, if one of those fuckers comes in from the other side, they will see immediately, I've got like 14 or 15 orbs and they're going to come at me like a fucking bullet. And that push and pull is so much fun. And then at the, once you've banked up, your team has banked up 75 orbs, a special boss enemy spawns. And the only way you win the match is by killing the special boss enemy on your side. And so it, it's, it honestly, it feels like this much more focused, smartly designed version of what Halo 5 tried to do with um, that Warzone mode. But this is like using that and, and really like understanding the mechanics of competitive multiplayer in a way that that mode never did for me in Halo 5. And it's, I had a match earlier today that is just some of the most fun I've had playing a game like competitively since well, probably like Advanced Warfare. Well, you know what it sounds to me like? It sounds like this is Bungie picking up where they left off with Halo Reach because mm -hmm. Bungie during the Halo period was so creative with coming up with all these different PvP modes. And that's part of the reason why Halo was just the best in class for that in the years Bungie was doing it. They had the most fun online shooting stuff. And Destiny never really did that in, in Destiny 1 or Destiny 2 up to this point because Crucible was like fairly bare bones its game modes were not all that creative. They were really just variations on game modes that have existed forever in online multiplayer. Like, the newest thing it did was, like, the, the collect the tags thing from Modern Warfare 3, which is a pretty right. old game at this point. Um, that, to me, though, sounds like... Because Halo Reach was super experimental. It had that yeah. headhunter mode. It had all the firefight stuff. It had that mode, the aliens versus the people. What was that called? Uh, invasion. Invasion was awesome. I miss yeah. Invasion. So if they want to do more of that kind of thing with De with Destiny, that'd be great because they were so good at that back in the day. And it's one of the things that I think was conspicuously missing from Destiny. So that's cool that that's in there now. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to play Gambit and see how you feel about it because I think it's just... It's so much fucking fun. And, and There's when so you, much stuff in the game now, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Man, when you just, like, pull out this last-minute victory in Gambit... Like, I had one... The last match I played, I had teleported over to the enemy's side and killed three of the enemy's team while they were fighting the boss. Because when the enemy is in the boss phase, if you teleport to their side and kill them, obviously the orb thing is no longer a, a deal. So what happens then is you... um The enemy's boss monster ends up regenerating health. And I ended up getting his health back like one third of what they had lost and then teleporting back in right when my team started like finishing off ours by using all of our supers at the same time. And it was just like a last minute, like it was the, we had, they had one win, we had one win. It was the last round. And it was just this like really clutch play that is the kind of thing 
I've never, it's a kind of feeling I've never had playing another competitive game because of the unique blend of PvE and PvP. So yeah, I think if people are playing Destiny 2 and you don't, you know, like like me, you're not the biggest fan of the Crucible stuff, like maybe you like it and play around with it sometimes, but it's not what you really love about Destiny, don't don't ignore Gambit because you think, eh, it's competitive Destiny, it's not for me. It's very different from Crucible. Awesome. That's really cool to hear. I'm I'm glad that's in there. I there's a lot I still need to check out. I haven't gone into the daily heroic like story missions yet. Um, mm-hmm. I've only done a little bit of the strikes, and I know there's probably a bunch of new ones there. Plus, there's the a shit ton of strikes in the game now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I haven't seen those. I've done a little bit of Crucible, um, but it's it's there's a lot in the game at this point. Um, uh huh. So it was it's fun to come back after all this time away. But yes, I'm I'm glad I'm enjoying Destiny. But Sean, my heart is still with Dragon Quest at the moment. So this will be this week's Dragon Quest update. Uh, I am still in the thick of Dragon Quest IV, uh, Chapters of the Chosen. I'm like 17 hours into that one, and it's so fucking good. Like, other than Dragon Quest II, everyone in the series I've played so far is better than the one before it. Um, and even then, like, two does have a lot of improvements on one. Uh, it just, it maybe is too much of a, of a good thing in some ways. Um, but like, it's, it's so cool. Uh, Dragon Quest Four is the one where it's, it's sort of narrative gimmick is that it starts with a series of chapters where you play as different characters. Like the first one, you are a soldier out looking for these missing children. In the second chapter, you are the princess or in the very, um, flamboyant localization of Dragon Quest Four, the Tsarevna of the Russian state of Zamovska. <laughs> Man, they the fucking Dragon Quest dubs, or not dubs, but uh, localizations really go for it. They go for it. Yeah, you're the Tsarevna Elena trying to, like, get out of the kingdom so you can go have adventures. And in the third one, you're a merchant. And in the fourth one, you are, uh, it's an exact scenario from Octopath Traveler. You are a dancer whose father was murdered and you're trying to avenge him. Um, and... Those are really cool. It's basically a series of prologues to the main game because in the fifth and like final chapter, um, you're playing as the hero, the the Yusha, and all of those characters become your companions. So you basically have long prologue chapters with each of your future companions to get to know them and set seeds for the story, and then the story really gets underway about nine ten hours in. And it's it's a really cool way to do it. It's especially considering this was a Famicom game. Like narratively, it has to have been like the most advanced game on the Famicom. I imagine. I don't know what would be because Final Fantasy two or four uh, didn't was was a Super Famicom game. Mm-hmm. So like that would be later than this one. But it's it's really cool narratively. It's an amazing world. I uh, all the stuff that usually applies to Dragon Quest applies here. All of it just keeps getting better and better because you can just feel them like refining and refining and adding and adding and it is all just so well balanced. There's so many just fun little narrative things that happen. Like I was playing today and there's a part where you go into a new palace that you've worked hard to get into and you get into the palace and then this guy is like going in someone's room and, like, rummaging through the drawers. And so you go up to him and, like, hey, what are you doing? And he says, hey, if you want to find something cool, you should look in that drawer right there. And then he runs away. And as you look in the drawer, someone comes in and says, you stole my, like, something, something. You've stolen someone's, it's like it's their bronze rosary. And then the queen of the kingdom, like, says, you know, like, you're put in jail. And the queen comes and talks to you and is like, uh, we we think you saw these guys. You guys steal this this you know nuns bronze rosary. Did you do it? And you try to explain. No, it was this weird poet dude. And she's like, 
I don't know if I should believe you or not, so you are going to go look for the weird poet dude and try to find the bronze rosary, but I'm going to keep one of your team members here in jail, and you have to go do that. And it's just things like that that just kind of happen out of the blue because you're exploring the world, and it is like ultimately that does lead you to a key item you need in the game, so it's part of the main story. But that's one of the magic things about Dragon Quest. It's true in Dragon Quest Eleven, the newest one. It's true in all of these old ones I've played as well. Where the game never feels like it's pulling you along linearly with just like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It really rewards you go and explore, and you listen to people, and you read dialogue, and you look at the world. And it gradually reveals where you should go and what you should do. And... Like, I've barely had to look at a walkthrough for this one, um, which obviously older JRPGs frequently need walkthroughs. This one really doesn't because just the world is vibrant enough and I've learned sort of the rhythms of Dragon Quest enough. And there's just little things like that where you pick up on where you should go and what you should do. And it's so much fun. It's such a magical game. It's got the best soundtrack so far. Each of the soundtracks is better than the one before. It's a really cool series. I, I have I have no signs of stopping at this point because I've also discovered that I can totally juggle Destiny and Dragon Quest Four at the same time. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's it's really good. I, I love Dragon Quest. Great. I look yeah. forward to someday when you know when suddenly time exists and I have it. Um are you sad that I've Quest. just completely blown past you, Sean? Yes, I. It's it's you know I used to be the Dragon Quest guy on the podcast. There was this brief shining moment, and now I I pass the mantle to you. Yes, but I still have a lot. I'm looking at my DS cartridge cases right here, just sitting on my desk, and I'm just I'm like I feel like I've made a lot of progress, and I still have five, six, seven, eight, nine, and seven, eight, nine are all like a hundred hours long. Yeah, so. yeah, because that's the thing is that they get longer as the series goes on because that's what yes. JRPGs do. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, so that's that. I want to tell you about one other thing I've been doing, Sean, kind of out of the blue. Yeah, I, when you sent me over the outline, you had this under stuff, and I was very surprised. Yeah, it, this is this might not even make sense to you because it's just my random notes that I wrote on my phone. But I've been watching some of the Pokemon Sun and Moon anime in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, y'all know I love Pokemon as a, just a general thing. And you might know that when I was a kid, I really liked the Pokemon anime. And by really liked the Pokemon anime, I mean I watched it past the point most kids were watching it. I saw in its first, like, run in syndication, at least through the middle of the Ruby and Sapphire stuff, Gen 3. I don't think I saw to the end of the Hoenn region, which I actually learned the other day was the end of the original dub. I almost got through the end of, like, the Veronica Taylor as Ash dub of Pokemon. My and God. I didn't even know it. Because they... This, Sean, Pokemon's been on so long, they switched over casts in English in 2006, and I still think of that as the new cast. That's been 13 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. For for reference point, I think I... I never, like, was, like religiously watched Pokemon. Like, I would catch episodes when it was on. But I probably completely fell off and stopped watching somewhere around, like, the... Orange Island, is that what it was with, like, yeah. the guy who, yeah, the, the Pokemon Snapman? Yes. Yeah. yeah, like, that was around the time I'm like, mm, I think I'm good. Like, Pokemon the Movie 2000 was like, that was like it. Like, no, I no, no. got that I, when I was done. Sean, I watched so much of it. I watched every Pokemon movie they released in theaters all the way through because <laughs> right. they did Pokemon 1, 2, 3, all got big theatrical releases. Then Pokemon Forever uh, got, like a, like, a limited run. And I went to see that. I remember how I, had, I got my parents to drive me to fucking Highlands Ranch to go see that. And then Pokemon 5, Pokemon Heroes, got an even more limited one. And I saw that, too. 
And then Pokemon 6 was when they stopped because I was the only one watching these movies. And I bought <laughs> that on VHS tape, Pokemon Jirachi Wishmaker. And I saw that one too. And that one was pretty bad. Um, and then I did see Pokemon the movie 7 as well because it was on Cartoon Network, I think. Anyway, so that's how far I went with the movies. That's how far I went with the anime. Like I, And when I say I watched it, I saw every episode. I have seen every episode of Pokemon through Kanto, Johto, and most of Hoenn. And I just it was it was my shit like when i when when we've talked before about my backstory with like anime and dragon ball and stuff i was not into dra- at the time when all of you were into dragon ball i was into pokemon uh-huh. and you know maybe i drew the short end of the stick there but it got me into the japanese version of dragon ball faster so i feel like it all worked out okay in the end but yeah i watched pokemon every day it was at 4:30 when i got home from school and i watched it every fucking day and i loved it and I, I still have an affection for the formula of the Pokemon anime because I think it is a fun, weird formula they have. Um, but yeah, so over the years, I've checked in every so often and watched like half an episode here or there of the Pokemon anime. What makes it tough is that like while every other anime on Earth now simulcasts in Japanese, you know, not every anime, but many animes simulcast in Japanese on services like Crunchyroll, uh, they have kept an iron fist on Pokemon in Japanese. Like, it does not come out outside of Japan. There is only the dub. The dub is pretty easy to access, and it's a good dub, I should say, at this point. But um, I just, you can't really watch it that way. I've always been curious about it, but it's hard to find. So... Back up a little bit. For a couple years, I'd been hearing that the Pokemon Sun and Moon anime, which started late 2016, was pretty good. Like, I had Mm -hmm. been hearing that from people like, this is actually a really good Pokemon anime, guys. Like, we should pay attention to it. Like, it's... And every couple months, I would hear, like, this Pokemon Sun and Moon anime is surprisingly good. I would just hear that from different corners of the internet. Yeah, I I picked that up as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd always been curious about it, but then it was when Dragon Ball Super Broly came out last week, and we talked about that, Sean, I started hearing from people that, like, when they would, you would talk about the animation style, people would compare it to Pokemon Sun and Moon and say, it actually reminds me a little bit of what they're doing on Pokemon Sun and Moon. And I'd be like, huh, I would never think to make a comparison between Dragon Ball and Pokemon. I'm curious about this. And so I saw on YouTube after that a clip where someone had uploaded it's from the end of the first season of Sun and Moon where I guess Misty comes back for a for a couple episodes and Ash and Misty are having a Pokemon battle and you should look this clip up Sean it was in Japanese and I tweeted it out and it's, so it's Satoshi and Misty whatever her Japanese name is having a battle and it's Pikachu and uh, I think it's Gyarados it is one of the best fucking Battle scenes I've ever seen in an anime, Pokemon or otherwise. Like, it's the Pokemon equivalent of, of Goku versus Kefla. <laughs> Which is to say, it's not as good as Goku versus Kefla, but for Pokemon, it's on that kind of level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it was just really cool, and I was also like, man, Pokemon in Japanese has so much more fucking energy, because these are, these are Japanese voice actors who can get the fuck into it, you know? Yeah. And so I found a website that has fan subs. Uh, I won't say it out here because I don't want to like profligate pirating, but you can find it if you want. It's like a blog and they do really good fan subs and they just every week they do it going back to, I think they did all of X and Y and now they've done all in of Sun and Moon, like after they've come out. So I got the first couple episodes of Sun and Moon and I've watched three of them so far and it is, it's a really good show. Like, I don't know if I'm going to commit to watching all hundred episodes that are out there right now, 
but it is really interesting. It's got an amazing new animation style. What happened when Sun and Moon started is Pokemon changed directors and head writers. So, like, the, the creative staff was essentially new, at least in management. And it's an all-new animation style. It very much has a similar vibe to the Dragon Ball Super movie, not in, like, the crazy action scenes, but in so much as, like, the characters are slimmed down a little bit. The animation style is simpler but a lot more striking. It's got softer lines. It's got much more visible, just, like, it feels draw like drawings or sketches. It's got much more earthier, grounded colors. It looks really, really nice. The environments are beautiful. It's the Alola region, which is like Hawaii, so there's a lot of cool stuff they can do with that. Um, and so that's really fun. It's got an interesting premise where the idea this season is it's not Ash out like with two friends he's met roaming the world for Pokemon. It's that there's a cool Pokemon like academy in Alola that he enrolls in, and so there's a large cast of characters that he's going to Pokemon school with, which... You know, I feel like Ash, he's been on the road 20 years doing this. I don't know if he really needs to be in Pokemon school, but, you know, he is still 10 years old somehow. I love how they finally just went ahead and turned Pokemon to a high school show. Yep, it's, no, it they took did. A while, took a while to get there, but they're like, fuck it, it's time. Yes, and that's totally what it is. And it's it's very fun. Um, it started with two hour-long specials, and I'm halfway through the second one. So, like, they're still kind of, like, getting into the, the groove of things. And I'm not sure what the main, like, what it's going to be week to week. But Team Rocket did come in in the third episode. And they are really funny in Japanese. And that's cool. Uh, Meowth is called Nyarth. And Nyarth is a good character. And there's a scene in the third episode where Nyarth, like, encounters Mimikyu, the weird Pokemon ghost that looks like Pikachu and he has like a weird dream hallucination about all his fears and it's hilarious um so yeah the weirdest thing though about watching it in Japanese Sean is that every proper noun is different yes every uh single one like and it's not necessarily a bad thing because Pokemon like Pokemon names are so based on like puns and stuff like it makes sense that in North America they're changed but Pokemon is almost as old as I am, so it is very weird because, like, names like Ash is now Satoshi. That makes sense to me. Professor Oak is Professor Okido. Like, okay, whatever. But when Charizard comes on screen and they're like, that's Lizardon. And I'm like, the fuck do you mean that's Lizardon? That's Charizard, you bastards. And it's like sometimes they'll just, they'll say something and in the subtitles it'll say, like, blah, blah, blah or whatever. And I'll be like, wait, who is that? Because there's not a picture of the Pokemon. I'm like... I have no idea who that was they were talking about because the subtitles are just totally like accurate to the proper nouns. Um, so it's kind of funny watching it that way. It's, it's, you know, now you get the experience of what, it, how, like, what would it be like for someone who doesn't know what Pokemon is to watch an episode of Pokemon or start playing a Pokemon game now? Yep. It's like the only thing they know about Pokemon is Pikachu and maybe like Squirtle or something, you know? Yes. Uh, but it is fun watching it in Japanese, like, because the cast is so good. The the actress who plays Satoshi just has so much energy, and the battles are so much more fun when it's a Japanese actor, like, screaming, like, Ike! Pikachu! That's so much better than, like, go, Pikachu! You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it is such a Japanese thing. Um, you know, I like that Ikuo Etani... Uh, Ikue Otani. Ikue Otani. That's what I meant to say. Um... <laughs> I like that that's the, that this is the only anime in the world where there is one significant performance that is just left in the dub, and that's <laughs> the one. So, like, I'm familiar with that. Although, I was spot-checking differences between the dub and the Japanese version, and in some cases, her voice is different. Like, they have different line readings for Pikachu. Hmm. And it's not all the time, but it's some of the time. Why? That's weird to me. Yeah, I wonder... I wonder all she's saying like, is Pikachu. 
Yeah, I wonder if they're pulling from just like a 20-year-long Ikue Otani voice bank. You're like, I think for the dub version, this version of the doctor works better than what she did for the Japanese dub. Because in the Japanese dub, she tends to be, like with the rest of the cast, more high energy. You can tell it's new recordings every week. Like, And it's it's more... Like, I wonder if they were doing that all the way back in the, the early days of the anime because she's giving more of a character performance with Pikachu... Whereas in the English dub, it's always sounded kind of like canned lines, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So I'm curious about that. Otherwise, the dub, it's kind of interesting. It is, at this point, pretty much just a literal dub. Like, it's almost exactly the same as the subtitles in a lot of cases, just with proper nouns changed and sometimes for lip flaps. Except that they also change the music, but also not always, which is a weird mm-hmm. thing. So it's it, if you want to watch it dubbed, it's totally fine. It's faithful. It'll have the character names you know and love. And you won't be as confused. Um, but it is fun to see some of this. Like I said, the, the animation is just so beautiful. Um, some of the like fight choreography with the Pokemon is really cool and makes me now more than ever desperately happy that we are now getting an actual console Pokemon RPG this year. Because mm-hmm. they could actually try to replicate some of that, hopefully. Which we have never had in a, in a mainline Pokemon game. But it's, it's a cool little series. Like, if, if you haven't watched Pokemon in a while... But you, like me, have some nostalgia for it and want to see, like, what the hell are they up to? This is a good place to jump in. It doesn't feel like they're just the same old thing every week. Yeah. I also just have to say, Jonathan, throughout, like, this entire conversation, I have been in the back of my head just, like, vision watching this hypothetical version of Pikachu versus Gyarados that is just the uh, Goku versus Kefla of... Pikachu, like, jumping from rock to rock while the ultimate battle song is playing. And the, there it is, there's this fucking hydro pump. And the Pikachu turns into, like, a lightning ball and rides up the hydro pump. And then at the top just goes, choo! And fucking thunderbolts him. Like, it's that's not just that. been playing on stop over and over in my head. Other than the ultimate battle thing, you're actually, that's kind of close to what it is. That's why Good. it's so amazing. Like, not... Every beat of that, but it does end with a thing where Gyarados is doing a move that requires Pikachu to do a daring jump up a series of things. And it's awesome. And, like, I was just watching an episode where, where Pikachu was fighting Mimikyu. And just the way, like, he, like Ash has him do, like, Thunderball. And the way Pikachu, like, does the Thunderball and, like, flips his body and then, like, throws this ball at him. It's so much cooler than the battles when we were kids watching Pokemon. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and just with the art style and the fluidity of it, it's really, really neat. Uh, plus, because these are fan subs, Sean, they've left in all, like, the advertiser cards and the things where, like, mm-hmm. weird Japanese men get on camera and, like, try to hype you up to watch Pokemon. And they're wearing, like, Pokemon paraphernalia. And it's fucking hilarious. And I kind of realize I miss fan subs because... You lack the, like, professionalism, but you get the crazy shit. Yeah, and it's just, it makes you realize just how much better Japanese TV is than American TV. Oh, it's Like, so it's just, it's, like, not even just, like, the programs themselves. It's, like, everything around the programs is so much better, too. Yes. Like, there's this, like, there's apparently all this interactive stuff you can do with your remotes, and there's, like, games going on during the shows, and it's hilarious to me, and it's it's very entertaining to see all of that. So... Yeah, I'm I'm going to keep on this for at least a little while cuz you know, if I have 20 minutes to kill, it's fun to watch a little bit of Pokemon. Yeah, sure, why not? So, you know, that's that's one part of the anime beat you haven't been covering, so why not me? There we go. I'm glad that you're <laughs> we got you on yeah, covering Pokemon, Jonathan Lack. Did you know Pokemon has over a thousand episodes now? I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's, I mean, for, it's just it's been on for 22 years. Fucking A. Like Pokemon is, you know, 
Like, people don't put it, like, talk about it in, like, the Simpsons bucket or whatever. But it's in the Simpsons bucket in terms it's of how It's in the Simpsons bucket. Going. I also, I was reading, I was looking up something on the Pokemon Wikipedia page. And Wikipedia has a line, something like, The Pokemon anime is the most successful video game adaptation into another medium ever. And I thought about that for a second and I'm like, of course it is. Mm-hmm. But it's such an obvious statement, it almost feels like we should take it out of the running for that. Because it's like, it so obviously is. It's like saying, like, the sun is hotter than anything on Earth. It's like, yes, it is. I don't know if that even needs to be pointed out. <laughs> yeah, because it is It is that thing where, like, I don't even think of it as being like, oh, the video game and then the anime based on the video game. I think of it as, like, the Pokemon media franchise and all of it just kind of birthed at the same time is how it feels like, even though obviously the video game came first. Yes, and it, it just, it's terrifying sometimes. Yeah. All right, Sean, you want to do some news? What's going on in the news, Jonathan? Some weird shit. We have some video game news, and this was a couple days ago. I woke up, it was Friday morning, and I know this because I had to wake up early Friday to go sub for another uh, classmate of mine who, who had to be out of town, so I was teaching for him. And he had an unusually early class. So I woke up at like 6.45 a.m. And as I woke up, there were tweets coming out of like, Nintendo just announced something with Metroid Prime 4. There's a video. And I'm like, this is weird. And I watched the video. And so Nintendo put out this video where Shinya Takahashi, who is the senior managing executive officer at Nintendo, looked at the camera and for three minutes talked about how Metroid Prime 4 has been in development Development has not been going as they planned. They're not happy with the current version. They have scrapped the current version entirely. And now Retro Studios, the developers of the original Metroid Prime trilogy, who were not working on the game up to now, have been given the task of rebooting development from scratch, which means Metroid Prime 4 has been super delayed, I think is the industry term. Um, Wow. Like, one, that's a big slice of news right there, Sean. Two... Wow, that's the sort of thing you usually read in a Jason Schreer report at Kotaku, not one of the executives at the game company, like, just telling you it straight up. It was crazy from, like, two totally different directions. Especially because, like, you know, so I've talked before about how I'm subscribed to the Nintendo, the Japanese Nintendo YouTube channel, so that's how I saw this video. In a similar situation as you, Jonathan, of, um, I, I think it was... It must have been because of the timing. It must have been I have, like, first off, because I have first off as a planning period as a student teacher. And so I was looking at my phone and seeing, like, this stuff is, like, Metroid Prime 4. What is this, like, I was, like, okay. And I clicked on my, like, YouTube app. And the video was just there. I was, like, well, fuck it. I'll just watch this in Japanese. And so then I watched a three-minute video of a middle-aged Japanese man in a suit standing in a, like, blank white void just talking about... Like, we've canceled, like, we're not canceled, but we've rebooted Metroid Prime 4, and, all, like, we're so sorry that we know you were all so excited about it. It was just, like, this is fine for three minutes. He just talks about it. And it kept, it because it's, the setup is, like, what they've done with a lot of their Nintendo Directs, but that setup is always a, like, and we're in this weird white void in the middle of nowhere to transition to, here's this nice colorful trailer for Splatoon 2 or whatever. And it's just like, nope, here's this Japanese dude talking about this thing in this white space. And this is very peculiar. Like, I 100% appreciate and and hope this is a thing that more video game companies do is be more transparent with the shit they make. Because it is, we've talked about this forever on this podcast, but it is fucking infuriating how... 
insanely close guarded everything about this industry is for no good reason and it's the reason why we never know what sales numbers are we never know like how much money a game makes we never know anything about like behind the scenes stuff for development we never know anything about you know like developer stories and stuff like that you have to scrape and dig so hard and so deep to find anything about anything in this fucking industry and so it was really refreshing to just have this you know Pretty high up Nintendo executive just saying, no, we kind of fucked this one up. Um, we're going to have the Metroid Prime people make the Metroid Prime game now. Um, it's probably going to take like five years, but here we go. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, what's interesting is that as people have been remarking on over the last couple days, this is the kind of announcement that normally would make people mad or at least sad. That It's like, oh, fuck, I thought I was going to play a new Metroid Prime this year and now I'm not this year, probably not next year, maybe not the year after that. And I don't think there was any anger about this from what I saw because they treated us like adults. They were completely transparent. Like, they didn't go into everything. They didn't say, like, it was Doug. That dude just fucked it up. He really, he can't design a first-person shooter. That at, where We put him back in accounting where he belongs. They didn't go, like, that far with it, right? It's but like, it was, Doug, that fucking asshole, like, he just kept on saying, it's like, no, like, the, the arm cannon's dumb. We should give her a fucking AK-47. <laughs> It's just like, trust me, it's what people want. Metroid Prime 4 Modern Warfare. Exactly. Yeah. No Chozo or whatever. <laughs> yes. That's what it says on the box. No Chozo. Yes. But no, they didn't go into like those details. But this was, I think we could agree, radically transparent for the video game industry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, they said stuff that was probably true about the development of a video game. And I think because they were just so upfront about it, they didn't try to sugarcoat it whatsoever. It, you know, some of that is just there's that built in just Japanese directness and politeness to it. But I think also it was just, okay, you know, Metroid Prime fans are adults. We're aiming for, you know, a, a, a mature audience here. Let's just be mature and just be adults about it. And here it is. And I don't think anyone was upset. Like maybe like a little upset that we're not going to get to play the game so soon. But, you know, overall, like if the announcement is. We were making a game. It didn't really work. We could have given you a subpar game. We decided not to. We're swallowing a lot of development costs. We're going to give it to Retro Studios, who are fantastic developers, and we don't know when this game is going to come out, but here you go. It's hard to be upset about that, you know, because it mm -hmm. is just so upfront and direct, and that's great. And then, I mean, on the news itself, man, uh, this is not unheard of by any means. Games get canceled and rebooted, again, usually not usually, 100% of the time you hear about that in a report, like, after the fact on Kotaku or something, right? Yeah, see the EA Star Wars game that has been rebooted twice now. Yes. In, under the grave of the original developer. Yeah, there's no EA executive on video being like, oh, we messed this one up, guys. We're giving it to these developers, and here are their credentials. So anyway, it's weird that that happened with Metroid Prime. Uh, the biggest question mark for me out of all of this is... What has Retro Studios been doing since 2014? Because mm -hmm. that's when Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze came out. That's the last game they shipped. They have not disbanded. They have not, like, downsized, to my knowledge. They've been working on something. Like, that's been an open, not secret, but it's just been known that they've been working for Nintendo on something. It's not clear what. Last year, there were the rumors about that Star Fox racing game. Right, yes. They I might... was trying to remember what... The rumors were, yeah. Yeah, Star Fox Grand Prix. We haven't seen that yet. Doesn't mean that game is not real. We don't know. Um, but they had to have been working on something because they couldn't make Metroid Prime 4, right? Because Nintendo decided 
this was going to be made by someone else. They never officially confirmed who was making Metroid Prime 4. It was an open secret that it was a team at Bandai Namco, very similar to what they had done with uh, Metroid Samus Returns, which was developed by... I forget what this... It's a Spanish studio. I forget what they were named. But basically, they brought all those people in and, like, the series producer of Metroid, whose name I forget at the moment, he basically headed the team, put that together, and and they basically used those people as, like, the, the resources to make the game, right? And they were doing that with the team at Bandai Namco. That's also what they've done with Smash Brothers for the last couple games, which is the core team is Nintendo people, but then all the people they need to actually make the game are Bandai Namco employees. So it's it wasn't like... It was basically a half-internal Nintendo development, half-Bandai Namco sort of thing. Um... But I guess it just wasn't working out. Retro must be finished with whatever they were doing, or whatever they were doing got scrapped. Like, there are a lot of question marks here. It's totally possible that Retro was making that Star Fox game. That Star Fox game is done. It will be announced soon. That Nintendo does that all the time. They just wait until games are finished and, like, on a shelf to, to announce them. So I wouldn't be surprised about that. And maybe it was just, like, Retro finished their game... Metroid was having problems, and they just kind of looked at it and said, well, Retro needs a new game, we're not putting out this version of Metroid, match made in heaven, you know, but it's a weird situation. Yeah, and now I do, I'm really curious, what was the planned Metroid Prime 4, like what was that game, and why it got scrapped? I hope at some point we get some insight into yeah. it, like, like Jason Schreier or somebody gets a report on what the fuck that thing was. Like, I want to see concept art. I want to, like, know where they were going and why it was not working out. I would not be surprised, given the history of Metroid and the places where they fucked up, if they were trying to make it too much of a first-person shooter. Hmm. And they were being too blasé about the adventure elements that really make Metroid Metroid, because Metroid Prime Hunters on the DS has that problem, and it's not very good. Metroid Prime Federation Force, the one that really pissed people off, is that sort of thing. And I just, like, Metroid is a delicate thing. There's no other series that's quite like it, even Castlevania when it rips off Metroid. And, like, I, I think it's 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 tough to know exactly what to do. Retro will know what to do with it. Like, a lot of the people who were at Retro when the Metroid Prime Trilogy was made are gone, but a lot of them are still there. And I think if you play their Donkey Kong games, those are both fantastic games, but they also have more Metroid DNA in them than I think people realize. And so I'm totally happy about this. There's no developer working today who has a more perfect track record than Retro Studios. They've only shipped five games this century, but they're five A to A-plus amazing, sometimes perfect games. So I think it's an awesome announcement. It'll be a couple of years. We'll see how fast yeah. they can they can turn this one around. Um, but, yeah, it's I almost find the way it was announced more interesting than the announcement itself. Because the announcement itself is like, I can wait for Metroid. I'm wait. I'm, I'm used to that. It happens. Uh, but wow, they they just laid all their cards right on the table. That was cool. Yeah, especially since literally nothing except for that, like the number four has been shown about this game. It, it is impossible to have any. I feel like it's impossible to have any feelings about the canceling of the project to the and transitioning to another version of it because who knows what that fuck that game was? It was a logo. That's yes. all we knew. And so that's all we yeah. knew. And this this will also be like Nintendo never does this. Nintendo, mm -hmm. the only series they announce significantly ahead of time is Zelda. They usually don't get too far over their skis on that one. Like I think Breath of the Wild was maybe three years between announcement and release, and that was delayed in the middle because they ported it to Switch and all of that. 
but this will be a game with like at least like a five year window between announcement and release. Um, it's I guess it, I guess Nintendo just you play Russian Roulette with this enough it's going to happen to everyone eventually. But it is kind of funny because Nintendo we're pretty used to they announce a game it comes out within a year max, right? Yeah. So interesting. But that's Metroid. You want to talk about some Dragon Ball, Sean? Always. All right. Tonight at this this Dragon Ball it was a Dragon Ball Fighters tournament, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so they showed some new stuff for Dragon Ball Fighters and Dragon Ball Game Project Z. Let's start with Fighters. They showed off the Season 2 trailer, so we are getting a Season 2 of DLC. It will have eight characters. They showed off two of those in depth in this trailer and then hinted at like who the other, who two of the other ones are going to be. And then there's four remaining, uh, but they're calling it Fighters Pass 2 is, is what they're going to call this piece of DLC. It will start on January 31st with Jiren... And Videl, Videl is going to be in Dragon Ball Fighters. So is Jiren. Jiren looks absolutely fucking terrifying to fight against. I'm going to get my ass kicked by Jiren. And then Videl just looks great. She's got great Saiyaman there supporting her in some of her special moves. She's cool. It's Yuko Minaguchi herself, the original Seiyu for uh, uh, Videl, which is significant because she's been kind of on and off with the series in recent years. And I'm so happy, Sean. This is such a fun announcement. And by the next podcast, we're going to get to play and talk about these characters. Yeah, it, it was just this reminder of, like, holy shit, Dragon Ball Fighters is the best-looking video game. Like, it just... Oh, my God. Because it's just been a little while since we had... It hasn't been since Cooler and Andrew 17 that we got to see new Dragon Ball uh, Fighters characters. And, man, yeah, some of that stuff with Jiren. Like, because even though they've added um, Broly and Cooler in the DLC... Like like big brawler characters are still a minority on Dragon Ball Fighters, and they still needed a couple more of those. And so it's good to see Jiren there just fucking shit up, and he looks awesome. But I think I think the star of that trailer was Videl. It's they knew it, yeah. And I was honestly surprised. Like I didn't think that they would ever do Videl, mostly because she doesn't really have much material to pull from. She mainly just has that Spopovich fight, which is like. Half that fight is like a very gruesome, you know, kind of brutalizing of Videl. So there's not, even within her one major fight, there's not a huge amount of material to pull for, for in terms of moves and like normal attacks and kind of stuff that they like to do when they're building characters. Um, and then she also doesn't have key attacks on her own, which are a major part of the move set for basically every fighter, except for I think Hit is the only one who doesn't have normal key attacks. And even then, he has like time punches that clear the whole screen that are basically key attacks. Um, so I think the choice of having Videl be the main character and then have Gohan as Great Saiyan come in as a support character in some of her moves is smart. It makes a lot of sense. It looks fucking awesome. Like their level three super that they show that's like this big combo attack and then them spinning and doing this big like dive kick right in the face of the enemy is just looks fucking amazing. And their like victory pose looks awesome. Like all the... The bright colors in, like, the fun of Videl and Great Saiyan together on screen is just really cool. And, and it's a really, like, a kind of breath of fresh air to have this really positive, fun character. Absolutely. It looks great. You know, they also showed off, they did not have any game footage for these, but they used clips from the movie. And from Dragon Ball Super Broly, the new movie, we're going to get Super Saiyan Blue Gogeta, and we're going to get uh, new Broly. They're calling him, I think, Broly, or uh, parentheses, Super. Um, really, it should just be good Broly, I think is what they should call it. But Broly, as we said last week, is so different. He's basically a different character. It makes sense to do a new version of Broly. 
we're going to get Gogeta, which I'm I'm so happy about. Mm-hmm. You know, three of the four of these characters lean towards new material, but Videl does not. Like Videl has not played that role in forever, and this is very much Videl from the 26th Budokai. Like that's her costume there. So I'm really excited about who the other four could be. Like I'm sure there will be some other new figures. Like if they don't have Topo in there, I don't know what the fuck they're doing gotta get topo in there um but who knows maybe we do get like some older characters that we've talked about wanting like um or maybe older characters who have become relevant again like master roshi or something like that would be cool to see uh, as i've said before yeah i think for sure we are getting ultra instinct goku and kefla like i think that makes sense yeah like i would be i think there's a chance you don't get we don't get ultra instinct goku because there are a lot of gokus in the game but i still think that we're going to get them because one of the things they like to do that's that was true of season one of DLC so far, what they've announced is true of this one as well, is doing pairs of characters that are villain uh, one villain one hero character. And so, wow. like you know, Kefla's not a villain villain character, but she's on like the opposing side or whatever from Goku. So it would match for the next pair to be Kefla and Ultra Instinct Goku, especially because I would just be surprised if you had Jiren in the game and no Ultra Instinct Goku, because then. You know, you want to have some of those cool dramatic finishes and stuff. It feels like that's what you. I think you, you're you need That pairing of characters to do that. Yeah, I think that's pretty much a hundred percent. That will be two of them. So who knows for the two remaining? I think, you know, Topo. They've got. Uh, they've never done Weiss. I would not be surprised if one day they hmm. do Weiss. Um, there's a lot they could choose from. They still need to do Kid Goku, but then there's way too many Gokus. So I don't know. Kid Vegeta from the Broly movie. <laughs> Yes, he just like is eating a weird alien spider leg or whatever and pouting yeah. on a while he's sitting down. Um, and would, he can have he can be teamed up with little weird looking baby rabbits. Yes, it would be a weird. No one would see it coming. It would be a total surprise. Yes, especially because you know the way that they build characters and fighters is they pull so heavily from existing material that it'd be interesting for them to say like. Yeah, fuck it. Let's just have a character that has literally no material that we could use to make a character other than him pouting on a rock. All right. So you want to move on? Uh, Dragon Ball Game Project Z, which we talked about last week, is this new RPG that they're making for consoles. We have more details about it now, although a lot of questions, too, because what they released tonight was a cinematic trailer with a little bit of gameplay. It looks like they are doing in this game the story of Dragon Ball, or at least DBZ. We didn't really see Dragon Ball, although it could be in there. Looks like we're playing as Goku. Looks like we're going to have playable in 3D environments of all the locales from the game. It could be really cool. It's unclear whether this will have like an active fighting system, whether it will be more RPG-esque, what it will exactly be. Uh, but it's for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. They say it's 2019. I'm game. Yeah, like, like yeah, there's not a huge amount to go on from that trailer. Like, it was cool just seeing, hey, here's Goku just walking around. Like, in, like you know, the, it's called the Dragon Ball Game Project Z, like, action RPG or whatever. So we didn't see any of what action RPG means, but I'm down for just walking around as Goku, checking things out in a cool, lavish-looking 3D environment. We do know that the developer is CyberConnect2, which is the developer that made all the Naruto Ultimate Ninja Storm games, which I played last year in my as part of my giant Naruto quest I had in the year of 2018. <laughs> um, and those games are fucking rad. And so, you know, some of the visual style of those games like comes across in that trailer. Like you can definitely tell they are so good at capturing um, that sort of aesthetic with 3D models. Obviously, it's not like Arxis quality, but you would not be able to make an action RPG with Arxis style um, characters because there'd be way too many animations to do. So the game looks really nice. 
it's a good developer. Um, and, and there's something that, like, I would have thought that I'd be way more resistant to the idea of having another Dragon Ball game that say, hey, let's do, like, the Saiyan saga to the Frieza stuff, which is basically what they show in terms of story content in the trailer is, like, you know, Goku and Piccolo, and, and you see Goku on King Kai's planet, and you see Goku going Super Saiyan against Frieza, and that's kind of, like, the scope of what you see. And and we've had so many games that are like, let's do something interesting that I haven't quite done before with Dragon Ball over the past few years with, like, Xenoverse and the Dragon Ball Fusions game on 3DS and Fighters and stuff. Um, but there is something almost refreshing about, hey, here's just, like, let's just do Dragon Ball Z. It's like, okay, I've, I'm, I'm maybe ready to go back and do that. We've had enough time away with all the weird extra stuff that I am maybe ready to just say, let's just fight Frieza again in Dragon Ball Z and just play it 100% straight. That that might be okay. I'm totally okay with that. I've maybe reached the end of my rope after the Dragon Ball Fighters uh, story mode of weird like what if stories. I think they can be fun. They can not support like forty hour fucking fighting game campaigns. So that's you know, that's a pretty severe example. Like it's a long campaign. It's not forty hours. It okay. It feels like forty hours. Okay, fair enough. There we go. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm up for it. Why not? Dragon Ball. All right. So, Sean, let's get into our 2019 year in preview. Do you want to do listener mail first or save listener mail for the end? Um, let's do listener mail first because I think I'll be very exhausted by the time we go through everything that is going to happen in 2019 with exact, precise, predictive power. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. We'll start with this first one. Uh, So these are questions for 2019, predictions for 2019. I just put this up on Twitter, and I have here what we've gotten so far. I'm checking Twitter, but I don't think we've gotten anything else by the time we're recording this. So first off, EKMN Samuel on Twitter asked us, any plans on continuing the YouTube Let's Plays? Maybe at some point we might do another one. Maybe. Obviously, with me being in Colorado and you being in Iowa, that it becomes exponentially more difficult to do those than it was when we did the first round. Yeah, I mean, it would be possible. I mean, let's back up. We would like to do that. Yes. It's a question of there's a significant technical difficulty in doing them remotely because it's harder than just doing a podcast. Like, it could be done if it's a PS4 game, there's that spectator mode and... I could give you my capture card or something. I don't know. But it would be difficult. But if we could do it and we knew there was a big enough audience for it, I think we probably would. But, it, you know, we really enjoyed doing those. They didn't get a ton of views. Um, and so it just it wasn't like a priority. You know, like if, mm-hmm. if they were getting similar numbers to the show, we would feel like, okay, well, the audience of the show also wants to see that stuff. But we didn't see that. I know we didn't do it for too long. If, you know, if we had infinite time and, you know, resources and everything, I would love to do more of that. I think it would be fun. I think we had a good idea for it going on with, with looking at some classic games the way we were. But, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll think about it. We might retool things, you know, who knows what might be coming up in the future. So I would say never say never, but are there any concrete plans right now? No. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's that is I think the the statement to have that, that it, I really enjoy doing them. I would like to do more. It is very resource intensive and way more way way more resource resource intensive with us being separated right now. So yeah, it'd be yeah. cool to do them in the future, and we will we will continue to think about it. Absolutely, um, but you know, if you want it, let us know. That yeah. helps to to Absolutely. let us know. 
All right, so uh, Barry on Twitter uh, gave us a prediction. He said, 2019 might be the end of 3DS support. A lot of games will go up in price like the Zelda remasters until they end up on the Switch. People talk about porting the Wii U library, but Switch ports of the best 3DS games would be a smart idea. So this is like half prediction, half um, half question. So I think there... I had a couple of thoughts on this one. Um First off, I don't think 2019 will be the end of 3DS support. Like, it could be. I don't see Nintendo cutting off that well yet. Like, clearly game development has slowed to a crawl, and we're getting very periodic things on 3DS. But the 3DS has been going strong for a long time. The DS line has been going since 2004. When Nintendo decides to end that, that's going to be a major decision, kind of like when they killed the Game Boy. Which, if you'll remember, the Game Boy Advance continued well into the DS's lifespan. Um, So I would expect it to go a year or two more. And when it does, the one thing I would say, because he was saying like games might go up in price because at that point they're going to be out of print... I've actually been doing a lot of DS collecting lately because I've been playing these Dragon Quest games on DS. I've been looking at some other holes in my Nintendo DS library I want to fill in. And that is tough because those games are only on cartridges and a lot of them are in limited supply. The thing is, I don't think 3DS will have that same rarity problem because all the games do exist digitally. They're not necessarily cheap, but they're never more than $40. A lot of them have come down to $20. That, I have to say, would really come in handy with the original DS library for me because those can run on the secondhand market for way more than original retail value, and part of that is there is no digital equivalent. So I think the simultaneous, uh, simultaneity here of having a digital library plus there are, I think, a lot more copies in the wild of certain 3DS games than there were original DS games, I don't think there will be the same rarity problem. Um, but then to the third point, would it be cool to bring some of these to Switch? Hell yeah. I'd love uh, Ocarina of Time HD on Switch. Like, that would be pretty... Like, honestly, I think if if Nintendo wanted to, there is a significant opening for a giant Nintendo HD collection, or Zelda HD collection, because they did remakes of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask on 3DS, and they did remakes of Wind Waker and Twilight Princess on Wii U. If you put those all on Nintendo Switch, people would lose their goddamn minds, and it would be great. Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly defer to your expertise on this matter because you're the Nintendo guy on this podcast. Um, some thoughts I have for this is um, for some 3DS games, like I think for those Legend of Zelda remasters that are, some are on the 3DS, some are on the Wii U, um, that, that those can probably be ported to the Switch easier. But there are lots of 3DS games that I have to imagine the unique like format of that console may, would make it very difficult to port a lot of those games because the Switch doesn't... Like you can maybe try to replicate some of that stuff that, like, the Switch has can do weird shit with the Joy-Cons, and it seems like they've managed to do, like, you know, some sort of stuff that makes you feel like, oh, some Wii, like, ports that you wouldn't have expected would maybe work on the Switch because of the Joy-Cons and stuff. But there's nothing quite that I think they'd be able to easily do to port some 3DS games that use... Like, certainly the 3D stuff would be impossible. Um, but then the dual screen stuff, you'd have to come up with some interesting solutions for some of those games for that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's I'm definitely look- a hurdle. I'm looking through my library. The only ones I think I would want on Switch are the Zelda ones. And I think the Zelda ones are great on 3DS. I don't need that because I still use my 3DS. The 3DS is still an in-production console. Um, But I think most 3DS games would just lose something. Like, I think the easiest one to do would be Super Mario 3D Land because there is Mario 3D World on Wii U, which they probably are going to port. But it would lose a lot. Like, that game, I think the 3D is really important to it. And some of the level design, like, is much more 3D intensive, obviously, than the Wii U game. 
So I just, I don't know. I, I think they're going to keep focusing on Wii U ports because the 3DS, again, is still out there. You can still go buy those games. And a lot of them just, like, you're never going to be able to do Etrian Odyssey on Switch, right? Yeah, exactly. Or Persona it, Q. It's, it's a yeah. weird thing. And then also, like, to, to go back to the beginning of that question to give my thoughts, like, the 2019 will definitely not be the end of 3DS support in terms of, like, the, like, bare definition of what, like, support of the 3DS means. Um, like, they're still going to be making 3DS. They're still going to be manufacturing new 3DS games. Third parties are still going to be making games on the 3DS. I think we have probably mostly seen the end of new first-party releases from Nintendo. Like, we had a couple, like, we had that, like, WarioWare compilation game last year. At, like, the end of last year, we've had a couple of small things. But I think, by and large, I am guessing that Nintendo is done making new games for the 3DS with maybe a couple of small exceptions here and there. Um, but 3DS will still get basic support for several years to come. Yes, I agree. I, I and I'm going to miss the DS when it's gone. You know, I've been playing Dragon Quest on the DS and it or on my 3DS, and it just occurs to me that like, if you go out and buy a 3DS right now, which could be as cheap as seventy nine dollars for a 2DS, you would have access to over fifty years of library on the DS because you would have all of the Nintendo DS which launched in 2004 all the way to now. It is one of the most incredible libraries in the history of gaming. The 3DS can also download you know, Super NES, NES, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, uh, some Genesis games, all of that stuff. It's still my favorite console I own. Like one day the Switch might overtake it, but my Desert Island console for now would absolutely be the 3DS. And one day I'm going to have to do a, a sort of swan song, either article or podcast about it, because I've had it since I was 12 years old, and I just, the DS is one of my favorite things in the history of gaming. Um, little off topic, but, you know, worth keeping in mind. I will be sad when Nintendo is no longer producing a dual screen console. I'll just say that. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Levi on Twitter gave us two things. One, he informed us about the Dragon Ball Fighter Season 2 trailer. So thank you, Levi. I would have been unaware of that. Uh, and he also asked, what are your plans uh, on the podcast for covering the following releases? Kingdom Hearts 3, Anthem, Jump Force, and Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. I'm pretty sure your co-host, by which I think he means Sean, will play Sekiro because he likes From Software games. Or From Soft. Is it From Software? Yes, From Soft. Oh, okay. Well, from for, Soft. yes, From Soft. Okay, uh, but the other three seem hit or miss for coverage. Well, Levi, uh, we will probably address all of these in the preview. I'll say I'm not sure about Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, I'm actually waiting to hear what my brother thinks who's getting it on Tuesday. I'm not getting it on Tuesday. I have to say, Kingdom Hearts 3 reviews are the most useless pieces of criticism I've ever seen for anything <laughs> ever. Just Utterly fucking nonsense gibberish. They are worthless pieces of... And I'm not saying the people who wrote them are bad or did a bad job. Just an unreviewable video game. Tim Rogers has a video about that on Kotaku, and it's mm -hmm. perfect and hilarious, and you should watch it. Um, so I really don't know. Uh, I'm busy with a lot of other things right now, but, uh, you know, I get, I get paid next week, and Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming out, and if my brother says, I think you will like this, I will probably play it, and I think it would be fun to try to do segments on here where I try to figure out the lore of Kingdom Hearts as a complete newbie. So maybe on that one, you're definitely playing Sekiro, I'm sure. Uh, yes, yeah. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice is, like, one of the most excited, for me, one of the, like, my most highly anticipated games of 2019, for yeah. sure. So more on um, that in a minute. Anthem... Yeah. I'm going to go with for both of us, we're not sure, but we'll talk mm -hmm. about that more in a little bit because it's part of our preview. Yeah. And and Jump Force, probably not, but if it goes on sale later in the year, I wouldn't mind giving it a try. Yes, who knows? 
as you'll see, February is one of the nuttiest months I've ever seen for game releases, so we're going to be playing something. Yeah, there's definitely going to be, you know, that fucking Resident Evil game just came out, and I, yeah. I probably want to play that at some point, too. But Okay. Yeah. And our final listener question, J.M. Baxter asked us, are there any under-the-radar or lesser-known releases you're looking forward to? I'm pretty excited for Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel Remastered on PS4. I have to say, uh, Mr. Baxter, I am excited for that, too. That is a JRPG series that uh, was untranslated here forever, then it was on the Vita, then it was on PC, now it's going to be on PS4. That sounds cool to me. Uh, Sean, do you have any of those? I'm, I'm trying to think. There, um, I'm sure there's something in our preview like that. I mean, like it's. I feel like I've we've gotten a question that's kind of like this a couple of times, and I've given this exact same answer. Um, it's whatever the Yakuza team is putting out this year. So those the Yakuza three, four, five remasters on PS4. Whatever those come out, those are kind of weirder releases that are kind of under the radar. And then um, Judge Eyes, the game that came out in Japan in December last year. Um, whenever that comes out, that is like whatever that team is putting out. I will play this year. That is that is my answer. I think that's a good answer. Mine, Sean, is... I was going to save this for the preview, but I'll just give it to you now. I did not know this, but there is, getting a worldwide release this year, a game called Digimon Survive, which is a mm-hmm. console Digimon survival strategy game. That's under the radar as fuck, and it could be crap. It could be really fucking good, so I've got my eye on that. Yeah, I remember watching the Japanese trailer that whenever it was coming out last year, and and the trailer looked cool. I don't know yeah. anything about if that game is supposed to be good or yeah. not, but I remember the trailer seemed pretty dope. Here's my better answer though: is Dragon Quest Builders two. Um, Dra- <laughs> Dragon Quest yeah. Builders one is so ridiculously fucking good. Like especially now that I've played a bunch of these Dragon Quest games, it's just a full blown Dragon Quest game with building mechanics instead of like traditional JRPG fighting mechanics. Dragon Quest Builders 1 is something every person who likes video games should play. It is so good, and there's a sequel, and it is coming out, and you have no excuse not to play it, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, no, Dragon Quest Builders 2 is mine also, because I never got around to playing Dragon Quest Builders, and it got long enough away from that game that I was like, might as well wait for the sequel. So, yeah, that is also mine. Finally, uh, J.M. Baxter also asked us, you get one Pipe Dream game announcement for 2019. What is it? EA actually making a Star Wars game is my pithy, dumb answer. Um, my I thought you were going to re- say, EA goes out of business. <laughs> EA, yeah, the EA goes out of business. Somebody else gets a Star Wars license and makes a motherfucking Star Wars game. Um, I mean, for, like, you know, I was just saying that EA's Star Wars thing is a joke, but it actually, like, Bioware saying, fuck it, we've begun off the wrong path for years now. Let's just make Knights of the Old Republic 3. That would be kind of dope. Um, my other, like... My my dream video game, now that we have a really good Spider-Man game, so I can't spin that answer, um, which would have been historically my answer to this question. My new answer is the video game, my dream video game that I'm always thinking about that, like, nobody will ever make this because the property is way too obscure, but it would be the dopest fucking thing in the world, is a Zatoichi game. It oh, would that'd be, be great. It would be so good. It would be so good. But it's, they're never, they're, they're literally never going to make that. So uh, also, addendum to that, a really good Godzilla game. I have, I have a lot, but a really good Godzilla game or a Zatoichi game are two. They, people, those will never happen. This is weird because most of the stuff I love is getting actively made. Like, Metroid is back from the dead. Fire Emblem is bigger than ever. Uh, Dragon Quest is still chugging along. So, like, 
I don't have a lot of answers that come obviously to me. I have a lot in the back of my head of, like, remakes I would like to see. So I was thinking of that, like, I think we're getting Metroid Prime Trilogy HD on Switch. That feels like it's been all but confirmed. Mm -hmm. So I won't say that. I will say I would really, really love on Nintendo Switch a Mario Galaxy 1 and 2 collection in high definition. You know, I've seen people playing it on on Dolphin, the the emulator, and they look so beautiful. I would just love a modern way to... I would never stop playing those games. They're so good. The only reason I don't play Mario Galaxy every fucking day is because the Wii U is hard to use. Um, that's pretty much it. They're, they're such good games. Um, but in terms of a new game, uh, honestly, if Rocksteady actually were making a Superman game, that might be it for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think answer. they are. They've said they're not. But if Rocksteady or someone equally talented and able to make a superhero game made a really good Superman game... Like a Superman game on par with Batman Arkham or Spider-Man, that's something I would really like to see. That's a, that's, that's a fantastic answer. I'll echo, echo that one for sure. I came up with another one. <laughs> I want the epic thousand-hour RPG, action RPG adaptation of Moby Dick. Now that I've read Moby Dick, that's what I want. I want the super hyper faithful. I want a whole chapter in the game that is just you having to read through the cytology chapter of like Herman Melville's weird conception of like the scientific like labeling of different species of whale. Like that's what I want. I want that game. Here's what I think it should be, Sean. Have you played the the new Lucas Pope game yet, Return of the Obra Dinn? Um, no, I have not cracked that one open yet. Okay, when you do, you'll understand why I'm saying this. I think Lucas Pope's next project should be a full visual novel of Moby Dick in the style of Return of the Obra Dinn. It would be fantastic. Well, there you go. And it would take you... him roughly 30 years to develop on his own. But there yeah. you go. Video games that will never happen, but man, it would be cool if they did. <laughs> Yes. All right, Sean, let's take a break from video games for a little bit. I want to do movies first. It's later in the outline, so just you can scroll down with me. Scroll, 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 scroll. Uh, movies will be shorter, so let's do movies first. Yes. Uh, and take a break from games. We'll get back to games. But let's do our movie preview. Basically what I've done for both of these, Sean, movies and games, is I've just put a lot on the outline. I have not listed every movie coming out this year. I've listed movies I either think we should talk about or I've learned existed and I want to make fun of. Sound good? Cool. Yes. All right. I think that was smarter than the original plan of we're going to talk about every single movie that's going to come out in 2019. Yes. So, okay. Some of the early ones are easy. Like in February, we're getting Lego Movie 2 and How to Train Your Dragon 3. I'm excited for both of those. Good month for animation. You know, How to Train Your Dragon 1 and 2 are the two best animated CG movies ever made in America, by in my opinion. And they they got to conclude the trilogy. I'm very excited to see that. Also in February, Sean, is that fucking Alita Battle Angel movie, which I can't decide if it could be like a weird sleeper, like maybe it's actually good, or if it looks like the most horrifying thing people have ever created, and I want it struck from the earth before it comes out. I saw the most recent trailer for it in front of Dragon Ball Super Broly, and I don't know if it's just like I've seen enough trailers for that movie that I've gotten used to the weird CG thing they're doing for the main actress, but I actually really liked that last trailer for it. I still, like, one of the things about this movie that I kind of can't believe they've done this, and it's maybe one of the reasons why I do kind of want to actually see it, is that they've actually called it Alita Battle Angel, and not just Alita. Like, Alita would have been a totally fine name for that movie, but they said, no, fuck it, we're going to do, like, the original title of that manga, Alita Battle Angel, which is the fucking dorkiest name for anything ever, and they've just stuck with it, and I've kind of come full circle on that movie, and I kind of really want to watch it now. 
I kind of do too. Like, I it could give me nightmares because anime eyes don't belong on real people. But at the same time, like it does, it doesn't look like Ghost in the Shell. It doesn't look like mm-hmm. a disaster where nobody involved ever watched the original property. Like, it looks interesting. I I think Sean, when it comes out, if if we both like go see it, I I think it could be a fun episode topic if nothing else. Yeah, we also, I'm at the very least, I'm really curious to see reviews for that movie and how people are going to respond to it. Oh man, reviews could also be worthless for that, but we'll find out. It's uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. James Cameron did not direct it, but it's a pa- it's a real passion project. Like Cameron's been trying to get that made for like thirty years. Uh, it's Robert Rodriguez wound up directing it. He's finally out of movie director jail. He got to direct a movie outside of Austin. <laughs> um, and so I'm I'm curious. We'll we'll see about that one. March we get Captain Marvel. Yay! Yay! Uh, we also get Jordan Peele's new movie Us. Have you seen the trailer for that? Yes, I was. You had this on the outline. And I kept on looking at it and trying to remember what this movie was. Yeah, no, that fucking trailer is great. It's Holy so good. shit! I'm really excited for this movie. Yeah, it's Jordan Peele's follow up to Get Out. It's like the trailer itself is scary, and I never say that about horror movie trailers. Horror movie trailers are dopey and stupid. This trailer actually kind of frightens me because the imagery is just so stark and bold, and like the premise is is inherently frightening. It it's going to be good. Jordan Peele's yeah. a genius. I also just have a real soft spot for a good doppelganger story, and so yeah, like like it's like a doppelgangers and haunted house are like two. Those are like probably my two favorite. Like specific horror subgenres, and so yeah, getting a good doppelganger movie—that's that sounds really exciting. Awesome. Uh, Dumbo is the first big Disney movie. No, not the first. Second, Captain Marvel. Second big Disney movie of the year. Their latest remake of an animated classic. And I have to say, the Dumbo movie looks like it could be good to me, were it not for one thing. I like I like the casting. I think Dumbo as a CGI character looks good. I think Tim Burton is the right guy for this. It looks very much like his movie Big Fish, which I like. But then every trailer ends with, directed by Tim Burton, and then it says, written by Aaron Kruger. And if you don't know Aaron Kruger, Sean, this guy, I'm going to have to look it up because it's not just the log line, the top line on his, uh, on his, like, on his uh, curriculum, on his CV, which is Transformers. He wrote Transformers 2, 3, and 4. So he Ooh. is, that's bad, right? So he didn't even write the only, well, no, I'm not going to say the only, the best Transformers movie, which is Transformers 1, which is faint praise. The best Transformers but, movie is Bumblebee. But okay, the, yeah. the best Transformers movie that has Transformers in the title. Yes. Here's what else he wrote, Sean. Scream 3, Rain, <laughs> Reindeer Games, Rings, the sequel to The Ring, uh, The Brothers Grimm, the movie that killed Terry Gilliam's career. Holy shit, I have not thought about that movie in a long time. And Ghost in the Shell. He is like, he has the worst rap sheet in Hollywood, and he wrote Dumbo, and it terrifies me. So, yeah, that's my two cents on Dumbo. Also, I think I've told this anecdote before. Michael Keaton is in Dumbo. He plays the bad guy who's like the leader of the circus. I thought until like the most recent trailer came out, I genuinely believed this. I thought Michael Keaton was voicing Timothy the Mouse, and that was the casting, because I thought I had read that. I don't think I ever did. It must have been in a dream or something. But for years, like from the announcement of this movie to now, I had believed that Timothy the Mouse was in this movie, and he was voiced by Michael Keaton, and that sounded so cool to me. Michael Keaton is not Timothy the Mouse. Timothy the Mouse is not even in the movie. There's no mouse. 
And so I'm a little I'm a little heartbroken over that version of the movie that never actually existed, but I wish it did. Yeah. I'm, you know, this is not the last uh, live-action Disney remake that is on this list. It's not even close. There, there are a couple. Um, so, you know, I've just, I'll just say this for this one and then be able to repeat this sentiment for the others that are here. The at least two others that are here, um, which is I do not, I fundamentally do not understand why they are making these movies. I don't uh, I money. Not watch them. Sean, it's money. Okay, okay. Other than, like, why not just make a new fucking movie? They don't uh, make that's what I'll say. Money. I'll just Sean, say this. Beauty and the Beast made $1.3 billion. Yeah, but why? Just no. God damn it. Just make a new fucking Like, make a movie that's not based on anything. But sure as shit, don't make a movie that is just you making the same movie you made years ago in animation, only making it in live action. Just fucking stop that, please. All right, in April, we get Shazam, which is not Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel is a different character. They don't get to use the term Captain Marvel anymore. Shazam was Captain Marvel, but now Shazam is Shazam. That's the thing all we need to say about that movie. It could be good. It might be, yeah. It had a, a better-than-expected trailer. Also in, also in April, we are getting the new Hellboy movie. And I only mention this because we didn't talk about it when it came out. But there was a trailer for this new Hellboy movie, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure it's the worst movie trailer I've ever seen in my life. It is I don't know if so I would go... bad. It's a bad fucking trailer. I think that's a bold statement to say, like, the worst movie trailer you've seen in your life, because there are bad fucking movie trailers out there. But it is, yeah, it's a bad trailer. It it's looks also like a joke. It's just a bummer. It's just, Ron Perlman is the best. Like, I don't, you can't recast Hellboy for me, so why even bother? Also, it's not Guillermo del Toro, so like, yeah. who gives a fuck? Like, no, I'm sorry. I know there are some Hellboy fans who read the comics. No one who watches movies gave a fucking shit about Hellboy for any other reason than Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman. This is stupid. Yeah. All right. Uh, then we get Avengers Endgame. Yeah. I'm excited. You're excited. That's, what else that's do we need close, to say? It's closer than I realized. It's in April. Yep, April awesome. 26th. Uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu in May. I'm really excited to see get new trailers for that movie. We got a TV spot the other day where Pikachu makes a fart joke, and I just kind of hung my head in sadness because they did it. They they Hollywoodized Pikachu, and and I'm gonna go hang myself now. I I don't need to live in a world where this is a thing. I just want to see more trailers for that movie. All right, Sean, did you know they're making a J.R.R. Tolkien biopic with Nicholas Holt as J.R.R. Tolkien, and it's coming out in May? I found that out yesterday uh, when I just saw a leak to it on Twitter or something. I was like, what? Okay. That's kind of weird. I Look, I love J.R.R. Tolkien. One of my favorite authors. Maybe my favorite author. I've read his biography. He had an interesting life on the page. There's no movie to make out of J.R.R. Tolkien's life. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to the, the incredible scene where he composes his hit book, The Legend of Sigurd and Gudrun, which I just happen to have right here. I'm showing to Jonathan. <laughs> Um, that it just happened to be on this table because I was referencing it for something else I was doing earlier today. Um, so that's going to be, if they cut that sequence out of the movie, it's a worthless film. I'll just predict right now that movie is going to lean unbearably hard into the parallels between Tolkien and his actual wife and the story of Baron and Luthien. Except they're not actually going to do Baron and Luthien, they're going to do Aragorn and Arwen. Mm-hmm. Because that's what people know, and it's going to be unbearable. So there you go. Uh, Nicholas Holt's a good actor, so good for him. Uh, we also get John Wick 3 in May. Fuck yeah! That Fucking A! We didn't talk about the trailer for that either. The John Wick Chapter 3 trailer is so ludicrously good. 
I can't fucking wait. Yeah, I just love they. It just feels like the people making these movies have been so empowered by how successful one and then two was. And so now they're just like, fuck it, man. We're just having Keanu Reeves ride down the fucking highway on a horse shooting people. And holy shit, this fucking movie looks fucking awesome. I'm really excited for it. I It, it might be, of all the movies on this list, the thing I'm looking forward to most. Now that Dragon Ball Super is out. Because mm-hmm. John Wick 2 was like so visually confident and had all these like surreal interesting settings and it feels like they've doubled down on that for three like they're just so confident i can't wait yeah i'm yeah that's that movie looks like is going to be fucking amazing also in may we get aladdin the second disney remake of the year now with will smith as the genie make a new fucking movie godzilla king of the monsters on may 31st the sequel to the 2014 godzilla and you've seen the trailers for this right sean Yes. It looks cool. It looks really cool. It's going to have Mothra in it. It's going to have Rodan in it. It's going to have King Ghidorah in it. And, of course, it's going to have Godzilla in it. I like all of those things. Um, It's going to have the girl from uh, Stranger Things in it. She's good, too. Uh, I'm very excited for this movie. And it reminds me that I still have not gotten around to seeing the other... I saw the first um, CG animated Godzilla movie on Netflix. And they just released the third one, the last one, a couple weeks ago. And I was waiting for that one to come out to watch it. And it's reminded me I haven't watched it yet, so I need to oh, do we that should too. Do that. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, this looks good. The trailers are kind of unbelievably good in how visually striking they are, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. And and it is like a brief hope that maybe that good Godzilla game that is a pipe dream for me, maybe it can happen now that Kaiju stuff is cool. Yes. So the next movie on our list, Sean, is Rocket Man, which is not about Kim Jong il. I know we all thought it was going to be, but that would be Little Rocket Man. This is a Elton John biopic, and the only reason I bring it up is because I've been seeing the trailers for this movie, and they have cast Taron Edgerton as Elton John, and that might be the worst casting I've ever seen in my life, because Elton John is famously very gay, and Taron Edgerton is the most aggressively straight white guy I have ever seen in anything and I see him like in the Elton John clothes and it looks like they put a fucking gun to his head to make him get in that costume because he is too aggressively straight to be Elton John and I feel like people aren't upset about this enough yeah no I just googled it and yeah no you're right I'm right weird yeah it looks very weird yeah anyway uh okay in June we get Dark Phoenix the new X-Men movie do you give a shit no Men in Black International actually sounds kind of fun. It's Chris Hemsworth and, um, oh, God, what's her name? from uh, Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson, yeah, which I'm totally down for that. That sounds great. Men in Black yeah. feels like it's been an underused like franchise because there's a lot to do with that, and they haven't for a long time, so that could be fun. Yeah. Did you know there's a new Shaft movie coming out, Sean? Nope. There's a movie called Son of Shaft in June. It has three generations of Shaft. It will have the original Shaft, Richard Roundtree. It will have Samuel L. Jackson, who played Shaft in the 90s, and a new Shaft played by Jesse Usher. And it's all directed by Tim Story, the director of Fantastic Four 1 and 2. What? I know, it took a weird left turn there. But yeah, uh, Son of Shaft. I don't, I don't really know much about Shaft. I think it's amazing that we're getting a new Shaft movie and Richard Roundtree is actually in it. That's kind of cool. Sure, yeah. Good for him. No, it's... Weird. I'm also surprised that there is not a movie. There has not been a movie called Son of Shaft yet. I'm surprised that we're just now getting that. Yes. All right. In July, we get Spider-Man: Far From Home. We talked about that last week. It'll be fun. 
Yes. Hopefully. Mysterio. Mysterio. Also, that's two fucking Samuel Jacksons back-to-back right there. Yep. And we're also going to get him in uh, in Captain Marvel. We're getting lots of Sam Jackson this year. Mid-July, July 19th, we're getting The Lion King, the third Disney remake of the year. And I Make think- a new fucking movie! We are also, at the end of July, getting Quentin Tarantino's new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is about Sharon Tate and the uh, Charlie Manson murders. And I just have to say, Quentin, I've really liked your movies up till now. Turns out you turned a blind eye towards Harvey Weinstein. And no one's talking about that. And people should really be talking about that because you knew. I know you knew. You also almost killed Uma Thurman on the set of Kill Bill. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a little weird that right after that news came out, you went into production on a movie about violence against women. I don't know if this is the moment, Quentin Tarantino. I really don't know if this is the moment you should be making this particular movie. Yeah, this feels like he's maybe flying a little close to the sun because he kind of somehow got under the radar when all that stuff came out originally and nobody paid that much attention to it. And I feel like this is just like a, mm, you're maybe putting too fine a point on it, Tarantino. Yeah, weird. All right. Very weird. Uh, in August, we get Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, which is the spinoff to the Fast and the Furious movies starring Luke Hobbs, I think? Something Hobbs. I think Hobbs is the Dwayne Johnson character, The Rock. The thing is, no. it's weird that they're calling it Hobbs and Shaw because literally no one on Earth knows the actual titles or names of the characters in Fast and Furious. They call them, you know, Vin Diesel. They call them Paul Walker. They call them The Rock. I think Hobbs is The Rock. Shaw, I think, is the Jason Statham character. And they were like frenemies in the last movie. So now they're going to have like a buddy cop movie. And this is mostly because Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel hate each other and won't be in the same room, so they just decided to give them separate series. I do kind of love that they're calling it Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs yeah. and Shaw, like their fucking like PBS masterpiece theater. It's great. Yeah, it's, you know, weird. I keep on forgetting, like, I've known this since they announced it, that they were making this movie, and I keep on forgetting it, and it was just the other day someone was talking about it. I think it was maybe a student was talking about it. I'm like, right! They're making another – like, it's, it's not – like, I would not be surprised that they're making another Fast and Furious movie. Of course they are. It's that it's called Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. And it's like a – it's the Fast and Furious version of those Star Wars story movies, basically, is what it seems like they're doing, which is weird and cool. It'll <laughs> like, whatever. probably be better than the Star Wars story movies, so, you know. Uh, yeah. I think they missed a big opportunity here not – giving Shaw, like, somewhere in his name should be the name Calvin, so they could have called this movie Calvin and Hobbes. And be, like, a hardcore action movie where you have a poster that says Calvin and Hobbes, and it's two guys, like, firing AKs, driving cars. That would be the best Calvin and Hobbes adaptation. And the thing is, I think Bill Waterston, the author of the comic Calvin and Hobbes, would be totally fine with that. Fucking holy shit. Fast and Furious presents Calvin and Hobbes is... That's a movie poster I 100% need to see now. All right. Also on August 2nd, we're apparently getting The New Mutants, which is the Fox Mutants movie that that Josh Boone was directing with Maisie Williams that never came out because it was supposed to come out April 2018, got delayed to August 2019. I don't think it's coming out on that date. If for no other reason, they're definitely not going to compete with Fast and Furious. Also, they only started the reshoots for this a couple weeks ago. For whatever reason, the oh. reshoots got really delayed, and they are effectively reshooting the entire movie. So I think this probably gets pushed to 2020, but we'll see. 
Yeah, I you know that original trailer for it looked sort of interesting because they're going for that horror vibe. But yeah, the just the state of X Men as a franchise is so bizarre. Yeah, like it already was weird, and then fucking Disney bought up the Fox Studios. The, so the best really prediction weird. I've seen for what's going to happen to the New Mutants is I, and I think this is correct. It's I would imagine that once the deal with Fox goes through, this gets pulled off the theatrical schedule, and it becomes something for the Disney streaming service. Yeah, that seems likely. And the thing is, it the reason they're doing the reshoots on the New Mutants is not a bad thing. What it is is Josh Boone, the director, pitched Fox a very you know, hardcore horror version of the movie. Fox said, tone it down a little, but make the movie. He toned it down a little, made the movie. They did test screenings. Everyone was like, we really like the horror stuff. We want more of that. The trailer came out. People were like, we like the horror stuff. So Fox said, well, why don't you reshoot it and do your original pitch? So that's what they're doing, which is good, but I don't know. I just don't think there's any place for that movie. I think it's going to be on the on the Disney streaming service. Yeah. Also, in August, we are getting a movie that has also been in the works for like 20 years, which is mm-hmm. Artemis Fowl. This is an adaptation of the A.O. and Colfer novels, um, which I was really into as a kid. They're really good Me books. Too. Yeah. Um, this kind of goes in the same bucket as a series of unfortunate events, where it's an adaptation of a kid's book from 20 years ago that they're finally getting made after many attempts. This one is directed by Kenneth Branagh. I thought the trailer was pretty good. Artemis Fowl is a fucking badass series. It's really cool. If they actually go for it, because that first book is dark, and if they actually go for it, it could be pretty fucking good. I'm curious to see if they actually go for it. But I'm glad Artemis Fowl is getting his day in the sun. Yeah, man, because there is such a fucking tight-ass 90-minute movie to be made out of that first book. Like, it's such a tightly constructed single novel. Obviously, like, I read a bunch of the other ones, and they were good, too. I think for me, like, and I thought the trailer looked good, but the, like, there's so much hinging on the actor playing Artemis Fowl for that movie that's like, I just have very little faith that it can be pulled off just because it's it's such a huge demand to put on a child actor to play that role. Yeah. So, I mean, if they pull it off, that's awesome. If they don't, it was a, it was a tough job to begin with. So, yeah. All right, uh, on September 6th, we're getting the sequel to It, It Chapter 2. It's not even really the sequel. It's the second half of the book uh, because It, the first film, was just the kid stuff. This will be the adult stuff. It's got a really cool cast. Uh, It Chapter 1 was pretty good, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, Mid-September, I keep forgetting they're doing this. They're making a Downton Abbey movie. It is a continuation of the TV series. And I'm sure all of your parents and grandparents will be salivating what saliva they have left at their advanced age to go see Downton Abbey. I didn't even know they were making a Downton Abbey movie. Yes. Well, it's not for us, Sean. No, yeah. We don't have angina yet. <laughs> Was that too mean? Let's move on. Okay. Um, October 14th, Joker. This is the no. Todd Phillips Joker movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know what the fuck this is going to be. I don't know. Joaquin Phoenix needed to make a house payment or something. So he's a joker now. I don't get it. Just fucking... I just... I I know that they've released, like, production stills or whatever of Joaquin Phoenix in the makeup. So I know in my brain that, yes, this movie is being made. But this is just like a fucking no. What the fuck? What, what just... What the fuck? Uh... The Adams Family is getting a new movie because we have no original ideas. It's an animated movie from the directors of Sausage Party, the really hardcore R-rated animated movie. That's kind of weird. It's coming out in October. 
I don't know. Make a new fucking movie. Yeah, at least you know Adam Shamley's that that's been out of the limelight for a while. Yes, can, I, I'm fine with them making another Adam Shamley movie. That, I'm less fine with it being from the people that made Sausage Party, but fucking whatever. It's it's weird. I mean, this this you're, you're going to see a theme from here through the end of the year. The rest of the movies we have are all fucking franchises. Most of which are franchises people are just fucking done with. Speaking of which, also in October, we're getting Zombieland 2, which feels like it would have been a movie people would be excited for if it came out in, like, 2011 and not 2019. Sean, Zombieland 1 was the first R-rated movie I saw on my own when I was old enough to go see R-rated movies. It's been for... I, I was six, I'm 26. It's been 10 fucking years. No one cares about Zombieland. Yeah, it was like a movie that was kind of slick in its day, and like my like one of my biggest memories of seeing Zombieland in the theater was being like, a, oh, they did cool stuff with like text on the screen. It's like that's like so long ago. It's like we've we're, like we're over that hill. Like that. Like not only do we do that all the time, we've done that so much that we don't do it anymore. So yeah, Zombieland two. Like, Zombieland 1 was a totally fine movie. I would actually kind of want to rewatch that at some point, just because I feel like it's probably an interesting time capsule in its own way now that's been about 10 years. Um, but yeah, I don't understand why it took them so long to make a sequel to that movie, and it's been so long. Why even bother? Yes. All right. Uh, speaking of why even bother, more than <laughs> I've ever asked the question, why even bother, is Terminator 6? I'm actually not sure. Is it 6? Nobody knows. But Terminator, it, Terminator 2, Terminator 3, Terminator Salvation, Terminator Genesis. Okay, this, this is Terminator movie. Okay. This is Terminator 6. Because this is the fourth successive attempt to start a new Terminator trilogy. And I am not <laughs> joking about that. Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines came out and they're like, new trilogy. Nope, didn't work. Terminator Salvation, new trilogy. Nope, didn't work. Terminator Genesis, whoa, fucking nope, did not work. So now they're doing Terminator 6. None. They have made six of these fucking movies, Sean. Only the first two, like, broke even. All of the other ones are bad. Terminator 3 is far and away the best of the non-James Cameron sequels. And that's amazing because it's not that good a movie. Um, This one brings back Linda Hamilton. Eh... It's that seems to be what people are excited about with it. I think if you are excited for this movie, I have one hell of a bridge to sell you because you've clearly been tricked <laughs> many, many times and are still very gullible. It's written by David S. Goyer. Ugh, I don't need any more of David S. Goyer. He's not a good writer. It's directed by Tim Miller, who is the director of Deadpool, which fine. Deadpool one is not that well directed, so we'll see. Look, yeah, and it's such a different movie than what I would be asking for from a Terminator movie. That I'm just I can tell you yeah. right now, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be interesting. Terminator is not a franchise. There's one particularly good Terminator movie, and it's Terminator 1. Terminator 2 is whatever. It's fine. It's not nearly as good as its reputation says. It's just not a series, and they keep trying to make it a series, and it doesn't fucking work. Stop it. Nobody wants Terminator. Yeah, it's just... I thought after Genesis, we were done for sure. Like, it seemed like after Salvation, it was done for sure, and then they fucking made another one, and it's like, well, there's no way. Like, I didn't see, I didn't see Salvation, and I didn't see Genesis. Good. I fucking refused to. Um, it's just like, but it just seemed like after Genesis, it's like there's no way you can come back from this. Like, the, like Terminator is not a fucking slasher movie franchise. It's not Friday the Thirteenth. You can't just make a million of these movies throughout all of time. That's not how it fucking works. And yet, here we are. Talking about another fucking new Terminator movie, and and it's 
you know, at least with, like, Alien, you know, either, like, Prometheus is, like, infamously on this podcast, a not very good movie. Um, but at least it was something totally different. Like, I can at least respect Prometheus that it's, like, they didn't even call that movie Alien. Yeah, the sequel to it, they put Alien back on it because whatever. But it's, like, at least fucking Ridley Scott took the series if it was, like, let's go do something really crazy with it. Terminator is in this just, just depressing fucking spiral that it's been in for, like, much longer than it's been good. I mean, once this movie comes out, there will be two times as more attempts to reboot this fucking franchise than there were good Terminator movies. Yes. And again, what I will always say is that while you and I don't think Terminator 2 is quite as good as some people say it is, Terminator 2 is, in the popular consciousness, the most beloved Terminator movie, right? Yes. And yeah, the, people love that movie because they were kids when they watched it. And the existence of Terminator sequels past 2 requires you to ignore Terminator 2. It requires it. You literally cannot make a Terminator sequel without invalidating the most popular one. That would be like if making new Star Wars movies required you to invalidate Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. It's so bizarre to me. And even then, like, the existence of Terminator 2 itself is a pretty big stretch from the, like, the conclusion of Terminator 1, which is a bleak fucking ending. But it's like, you could, like, I will accept Terminator 2. I think it does enough to justify its existence in its own plot. Like, like not even just, like, I think it's a fine movie in its own right. It's an enjoyable action movie. But just, like, in terms of the franchise storytelling or whatever, I'm fine with Terminator 2 existing. I don't right. think it, like, ruins Terminator 1 necessarily. It's just nowhere near, nowhere near as good as Terminator 1. But anything past that, you're so stretching what those movies are about in terms of time travel and, like, destiny and all those sorts of concepts that just doesn't make sense to keep on making movies. And the only thing that was fairly successful at it was the Sarah Connor Chronicles show, and that got canceled after season two. So yeah. it's it's done. Like, stop it. Just, just... Like, this is, like, what they've, is happening to Terminator is so much more dire than what Disney is doing with their fucking live-action movies. Just fucking stop it, for the love of God. In November, we are also getting a Charlie's Angels movie. Why? I don't know. It's directed by Elizabeth Banks. Good for her. Um, I'm, okay. She's getting to direct movies now. It's starring Kristen Stewart. I, I am okay. a big Kristen Stewart fan on this podcast. I guess she needs the money. She, like, totally does not do movies like this anymore. Like... I, I understand that all her, like, art house foreign films probably don't pay all the bills, so good for her. It, it could be interesting. I don't know. It's, you know, it's a Charlie's Angels movie written and directed by women starring, you know, people like Kristen Stewart. It's, it sounds like if, if you put a different title on it, I'd actually think this sounded good is the, pro is the problem. Yeah. I just don't care about the fucking Charlie's Angels label. Yeah, it's weird. I didn't know that Elizabeth Hanks was directing it, so that does make it more interesting to me, but... Still, yeah. yeah. Also in November, we're getting Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, which is a real thing, which is coming, and we're all going to have to prepare ourselves for that. Fuck, yeah. Because mm -hmm. all our dreams are going to die this year. Yeah, that like that poster that they released still haunts me, and it's mostly in shadow. So when, they, when we get full frontal Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> in this movie... Or, like, with the first trailer drops, man, it's going to be a bad fucking scene. All right. Like, I've never, I've never cried before on this podcast, but that might be what does it. Kingsman 3, the great game, is coming out. Even though Kingsman 2 flopped and wasn't very good, they're making a third one. But I guess it's a prequel about Colin Firth's character, so eh, I don't need more of these. I like Colin Firth. I never watched any of those movies, though. Frozen 2 is coming out November 22nd and will take all of your money. Jumanji. You know what I have to say about that, Jonathan? Disney should just let it go. 
That's it for the Weekly Stuff Podcast. We will not be coming back this week. Next week, we are done. We are done. Have you, Jonathan, have you ever listened to the Japanese version of Let It Go? No, but I should. It's really fucking good. I, it popped up in my YouTube recommends because my YouTube history is fucked. Um, and it's so good. Like, I think Let It Go is a totally fine Disney song. Um, but the Japanese version is really fucking good. And it's very sassy, and I like it. Awesome. People should watch that. The foreign versions of Disney songs are always better. Like, the best Disney song ever is the Chinese version of I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. With Fuck Jackie yes! Fucking A! It's so good. He's, it's so the, great. Yeah, the music video even makes it so... Because it's just a music video of him singing and, like, interspersed with him just doing cool martial, yep. martial arts shit. Yeah, people I should think- just... Google Jackie Chan, Make a Man Out of You. I tracked down. Disney did a DVD of Mulan in the mid-2000s where they put the Chinese version on it. And I have mm-hmm. that. And it's so much better. Because it's, it's... I bet. Yeah. It's so much better. Anyway. Uh, all right. Frozen 2. That's coming out. The first one wasn't good. And if you liked it, you're a bad person. Uh, Juma- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Because that would mean most people are bad people. Which could be true. I mean, yeah. It, it, actually, the math probably checks out on that one. Okay. Uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle 2 is coming out. That's the one that was Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson and our friend Karen Gillian. Not our fr- She doesn't know us, but we liked her from yeah. Doctor Who. Um, Sean, do you remember that Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle made $950 million? Yes, because that's the only thing I remember about that movie is that it made ungodly amounts of money. And everyone was like, I don't understand how that happened, but okay. It was pretty good. It wasn't $950 million good, but it was okay. We'll see. Uh, Star Wars Episode Nine is coming out December twentieth. We'll see. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's honestly that is the of any movie coming out next year. I'm not saying that this is the one I think is going to be the best because I definitely don't think that. That's probably John Wick three. Um, but that is the one I am most curious to see by far because what is that movie going to be? A and then B. What does that mean for the future of Star Wars once we have this like Disney's first trilogy done? I am so fascinated about what that means for pop culture and that franchise and everything. I think that's a good point. Yeah, me too. The movie I'm most fascinated about coming out on that day, though, Sean, is we're also getting Cats, which is the movie adaptation of the musical Cats, which is the Android uh-huh. Lloyd Webber furry musical where everyone dresses up like cats and, I don't know, dances on stage. It's directed by Tom Hooper, the Oscar-winning director of The King's Speech and Les Miserables. So I guess he decided... I'm going to follow Les Miserables up with fucking Cats. Cats stars Taylor Swift, Jennifer Hudson, Ian McKellen, Idris Elba, and Dame Judi Dench. What the fuck? They're going to have all those people dress up as fucking cats? I don't know if I need to see Ian McKellen dressed up as a cat. And like, Honestly, like looking at that cast, that is the cast that I want for the James Bond fucking reboot. With Idris Elba as James Bond. Dame Judi Dench is M. Ian McKellen is the villain. Taylor Swift and Jennifer Hudson, whatever Bond girl roles. Like, that's... Fucking make that movie. That sounds pretty good. Do they also dress up as cats? <laughs> you know? I'm here's, sure they could... Those are some good actors. My, they could probably pull it off. Here's well, my Taylor question. On stage, my understanding is is cats... They just dress up as cats and they do cat shit, right? In the, sure. In the, There's probably more to it, but yeah. I, I've, I've no personal experience with cats. In, but yes. In in the movie, do they like is this like performance capture? Are they all gonna be CG cats? Or is it is it gonna be mm. makeup? Is it gonna be costumes? Because if it's just costumes, that's gonna look like a fucking high school production on film. But if it's CGI, it's gonna be scary. So I don't know. Um they're filming it right now, it's coming out. Little anecdote, Sean. Remember when I took that musicals class in my undergraduate film school? 
Yes, yes, yeah. We talked about it a lot on the podcast. One day, this was genuine. I was not joking. I raised my hand. People were talking about cats, and they started talking about Rum Tub Tugger and all the other fucking characters <laughs> from Cats. And I raised my hand, and I asked the professor, I said, is Cats real? And he looked at me like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm, I'm dead serious. Is Cats real? Or is it a joke? Like, is it an actual musical people go see? Or is it a joke musical that, like, is just like, it's a Saturday Night Live thing? He's like, no, Cats is a real musical. I've seen it twice. And I'm like, okay, what's it? What is it? Do they just, are they cats? Like, well, I really don't know anything about Cats, and I've never figured it out. I do know a character is named Rum Tum Tugger. And I think that <laughs> might be who Ian McKellen is playing. And now I need to look it up because, good God, what the fuck is this musical? I know nothing about it. I mean, I'm just really looking forward to the Idris Elba cat kicking fucking ass in this movie, kicking the asses of all the other cats, because it's fucking Idris Elba. Like, he's the one that, to me, just stands out so much in that cast as, like, Ian McKellen in Cats. Yeah, okay. Taylor Swift in a modern Cats movie. That makes sense. Dame Dude Judy Dinch in a modern Cats movie. I can see it. Okay. Idris Elba? How did you get him? Sean, I gotta read you the cast. This is their okay. name. These are the character names. Jennifer Hudson as Grizabella. Okay. Taylor Swift as Bomba Lorena. Okay. James Corden. We like James Corden. As yeah. Bustopher Jones. <laughs> Ian McKellen. Sir Ian McKellen as Gus the Theater Cat. <laughs> it's the role he was born to play. What? Why is everyone else named like Grizabella and shit? And there's one, cus- one cat that's just named Gus. Idris Elba. Hey, Gus. Idris Elba as McCavity. Okay. Judy Dench. Is he evil? I don't know. Judy Dench as Old Deuteronomy. <laughs> okay. Apparently, there's fucking just like a biblical character has showed up in the middle of cats. Stephen McRae as Skimbleshanks. <laughs> Rebel Wilson as Jenny Innie Dots. And Jason Derulo as Rum Tum Tugger. And, and, and again. All there's Rum Tum Tugger, and then there's the cat named Gus. <laughs> Gus the Theater Cat. What? I, don't know. I feel like I know less about cats now with you having. Seen That's all my that point. The more in. I learn about cats, the less I know about cats. I don't think it's real. I, don't I mean, know. it's a good point of like. I just feel like I've learned through cultural osmosis effectively nothing about the plot content of the musical Cats in a way that like I've never seen. Rent. I've never seen the Phantom of the Opera musical. I've never seen Les Miserables. I've never seen almost any musical. A bunch of, like, all of those that I just named, I can tell you what the plots of all those musicals are. I haven't fucking seen them, but I've absorbed the information about what they are. Cats? Nothing. All I know is that there's people dressed as cats, and now I know they have dumb names. And that's it. I'm just telling you, look, it's a December release. There's every chance that at the next year's Oscars... Ian McKellen will be accepting Best Supporting Actor for Gus the Theater Cat. <laughs> All right. Did you know? I'm looking forward to it. Also, Greta Gerwig, indie darling and director of Lady Bird, my favorite film of 2017, is directing a new version of Little Women. Cool. It's good for her. All right, Sean, we're going to play... That's on Christmas. Yes. <laughs> so Christmas. that's our movie preview for 2019. We have a game we're going to play at the end, end of each of these segments, because we still have to do our video game segment. So here's our game for... Um, for movies, for movies in 2019. I'm not going to make you play this, Sean. I filled out the ballot myself. Um, yeah. If you want to do guesses, you can. But I... No, I've, I'll leave this up to you. Okay. 
This game is called How Much Money Will Disney Make in 2019? So what I have done oh, yes. is I have okay. listed out every movie Disney is releasing this year, which includes Dumbo, Penguins, which is a Disney nature movie, Captain Marvel, Aladdin, Avengers Endgame, Toy Story 4, The Lion King, Artemis Fowl, Frozen 2, and Star Wars 9. So that is, I believe, 10 films that they are releasing this year. And I have made an estimate of what I think their final worldwide, not domestic, worldwide box office will be. I have taken a lot of things into consideration, and I will tell you, I think I'm pretty dead on, actually. I'm pretty confident about most of these. So we'll see how much money Disney might make. Sean, you ready for this? Go ahead and roll down the list, Jonathan. All right. Dumbo, their first big movie of the year. I'm going to peg at $750 million. That is between Cinderella and Maleficent, which seem like the most com- comparable of the remakes they've done. I agree. And it's more on the Maleficent end because Cinderella only did $500 million and I don't think it's going to hit that. I also don't think it's going to hit Maleficent's like $850 million. So I would put it somewhere in between. For penguins, for penguins, the Disney Nature movie, uh, I'm going 30 million. It's just a drop in the bucket for Disney this year. But uh, based on recent Disney Nature movies, that would be a little higher, and I think it's a little higher because people like penguins. Um, you know, the last one was about panda bears, and panda bears are cool, but you know, penguins have—they are proven box office gold. Happy Feet, March of the Penguins, people like penguins. And there's just a lot – there are a lot more different kinds of penguins than there are kinds of panda bears because panda bear is basically its own species and penguin is like a whole other category. So I didn't, there's a lot more content to stuff full of penguins in penguins um, and I think that probably gives it a, a slight edge over panda bears. Captain Marvel, this one was tough to figure out because the last time Marvel introduced a new character was Black Panther and it made all the money in the world. Yeah. But they've also done things like Doctor Strange and Ant-Man, which did well, but on the lower end. So I wasn't quite sure where to peg Captain Marvel. I think this one could go slightly lower. I think it could also go a lot higher. But I'm going to say $700 million for Captain Marvel. That is kind of dead in the middle between Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy 1. I don't think this will be a giant breakout hit, but I think it's going to do very solidly around the world. It could do a lot higher, though. It's, it's tough to gauge this one. Yeah, I'm I'm with you that I think Captain Marvel is probably a pretty modest Marvel film in terms of like where it's going to land on the the box office scale. Yes, and by modest we mean obscene amount of money. Exactly. Yes. yes. Uh, Aladdin. I'm going to say 1.1 billion. This is a little under Beauty and the Beast. I don't think it hits Beauty and the Beast numbers, but I think it's going to do huge. If this movie didn't break a billion, I would be fucking shocked. It's Aladdin. People are going to go see Aladdin. It's got Will Smith as the genie. People are just going to go see it. We'll see. Make a new fucking movie. Avengers Endgame. This one's really hard to peg. I, I put it at $2.2 billion. That's slightly higher than where Avengers Infinity War ended up, but I don't think it can get that much higher just due to the calendar this year and how many movies Disney themselves is putting out against it, you know? So I think that's probably where it ends up. I can't imagine it doing lower than Infinity War. I think people are, like, so primed from the end of that movie. I think it could go a lot higher, too. Like, this one's going to be an event. Yeah, for sure. Toy Story 4. I'm going to say $1.3 billion. That's a little higher than Toy Story 3. I don't think it's going to have a huge jump from Toy Story 3, but this is about the same zone as Incredibles 2. Toy Story movies are popular. I The one thing is, I could see Toy Story 4 underperforming because I will say, it is the first time I have seen a trailer for a Pixar movie 
where other than maybe like Cars 3, where nobody in the theater reacts. When that Toy Story 4 trailer comes on, people are just like, I've heard a lot of people like just rolling their eyes and being like, why God, why? Because they kind of ended it perfectly. It's been over forever. The, I don't know. It could do really big. It probably will. I just This is one where I think I might be on the high end, but I could also be on the low end. Who the hell knows with Pixar? Yeah. The Lion King, this was the hardest one by far. I put it at just a square $2 billion. I have no idea. I think this could honestly be the world's first $3 billion movie. Like, I think it could beat Avatar. It's the fucking Lion King, and it's got Beyonce in it. I mean, good God. It could also be lower than that. Who the hell knows? I think it's going to break $2 billion. We're going to find out. I think it's going to be a significant hit. It has no competition in July or through most of August other than, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, like we talked about earlier. So we'll see. But that's my prediction for The Lion King. Yeah, I think my, my I anticipate The Lion King making the most money out of all these live-action remakes because I think that's people have the most affection for that movie compared to those other ones. All right. I did some math for this next one. Artemis Fowl... I really wasn't sure because there's no clear precedent for it. So I took the average of five other Disney live-action movies that I think are the closest in sort of tone, release date, audience. And those were Tomorrowland, The BFG, Pete's Dragon, Wrinkle in Time, and Nutcracker in the Four Realms. And if you haven't heard of those movies, that's because those are Disney's flops. And Yeah, I've, I've heard of all of those except for Nutcracker in the Four Realms. I did not know that that existed. That came out uh, in November. No one saw it. Uh, okay, and I literally just I took the worldwide average of all five, and that was 168 million dollars, and that is my guess, and I think that's probably correct. That seems that seems reasonable to me. Yeah. Frozen two, 1.5 billion. I'm saying it gets a little higher than the original, but not by a ton. You know, I think it's going to do big. It it could do lower. It's just it would be so weird if if they made a Frozen sequel years away. I don't think it'll do less. It's It was so big internationally. Like, Japan, it's like Japan's highest grossing foreign film ever. I think Frozen 2 will do about that. I don't think it'll do a ton more than the original. Then, I'm look, really looking forward to Let It Go 2 in Frozen 2. Yes. Then in Star Wars, for Star Wars 9, this is where I did the most math. Because what I did is I said, so far, the new Star Wars trilogy has followed the same multiplier as the prequel trilogy. Which is to say, the prequels... The first movie did about a billion. The second movie did about 700 million. So it went down by about a third. The second movie did about two-thirds as much as the first movie. And that's actually exactly what The Last Jedi did versus Star Wars uh, Force Awakens. So if it follows the exact same multiplier from two to three that the prequel trilogy did, that's a 1.3 multiplier on top of the second film. So if you take... Star Wars The Last Jedi's gross of about $1.34 billion and multiply it by $1.3, you get my prediction, which is $1.729 billion. I think I'm probably pretty accurate on that. I think that's, you know, I think there's a lot of math in there. I will just, for the sake of argument, I'm going to posit that maybe, maybe this is the Star Wars movie where people are just like, yeah, fuck it. And that was it solo. a little bit less money than The Last Jedi. Well, the, the first, like... Actual Star Wars movie that's not the, 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 you know, that's a Star Wars episode something, and it maybe makes a little bit less money than the last one. It's possible. I think the fact that they've given Star Wars a brief ish rest in that this December didn't have one, this will be the end of the trilogy. They're going to blitz the hell out of the marketing. I, I think it, that's the thing though. I'm saying it'll do lower than the first movie but bigger than the second movie. And I think that's probably right, because I think if you follow, like, the arc of the prequels, 
which did the exact same thing, that actually makes sense given what the three movies were. So yeah. we'll see. I think your argument is probably the more right one, but I just want to like plant my flag of that. I think that there's a certain fatigue, and I think a lot of people are kind of fed up with just the Star Wars-ness of it. And this this has nothing to do with like the terrible core fan, like whatever bullshit reaction to The Last Jedi. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking more about like stuff like Solo, A Star Wars Story, and just like the general sense of aimlessness around the Star Wars franchise that Disney has exuded for the past couple of years. I think maybe that is going to take its toll on the box office for this movie. We shall see. So my prediction, my estimated worldwide total for Disney in 2019 is $11.477 billion. So let's just round that up to a nice even $11.5 billion. This is how I, I want to look at that number. Okay. I think that's easier. I do have a question. Is there a reason why Spider-Man's not on there? Spider-Man's not a Disney movie. It's completely okay, so owned it's by the... Sony. Um, okay. The deal with Sony for that is that when Spider-Man is in a Sony movie, Sony takes all the grosses. When Spider-Man is in a Marvel movie, Disney takes all the grosses. That's how they split the two franchises. Okay. So so for the, since this is Spider-Man Far From Home, Sony gets the money. Yes. But in Avengers, if Spider-Man shows up anywhere in Avengers Endgame, they get the Spider-Man money from that one. Yes, Disney gets the money. Disney okay. got the better deal there. <laughs> yes, yeah. They get that Avengers money. Um, yes, that's why that's not on there. Also, the Fox movies are not on there. By the end of this year, Disney could be getting the Fox money, but that's still technically not done yet. So I thought it would be unfair to to put that on there. Fair enough. All right. So those are my guesses. Um, we'll see if I'm correct. Either way, fuck Disney. You need to You need to just fuck off for a little bit. You're making too much money. Yeah, and again, three fucking three of those movies are live action remakes of beloved animated Disney classics. <laughs> three in one year. What the fuck? I God know. damn it! All right, you want to do a video game preview, Sean? Let's get back into video games, Jonathan. All right, we will start with games for 2019 that have an announced release date. We will then do games in 2019 that have said they're coming out in 2019, but have no release date. Then we will do games, yeah, games we have no fucking idea about, and we'll talk about those. And then we're going to do a version of the draft we did last year, Sean, but I'm switching it a little bit. Okay. We didn't even talk about that, so I'm, I'm excited to see what the, what the fuck that is. It'll be fun. All right. Video games we know are coming out. Kingdom Hearts 3 is the first one on January 29th. This is coming out. The Hikaru Utada song for it, The two she put out an EP with all the songs in English and Japanese, and I've been listening to that over and over because they're really fucking good, and if for no other reason, I'm glad we got a new Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, I think the the dream of me playing Kingdom Hearts 3 in Japanese is probably mostly dead at this point. I'm sorry. I float, we floated that idea on the podcast, and it was a very exciting idea to flirt with, but when actually staring down the fucking barrel of playing that game in Japanese, mm, I don't think so. Uh, I should say, my brother pointed something out to me. Yeah. He said, if this game we've been waiting 13 years for since Kingdom Hearts 2, that means I've been waiting over half my life for this game. Thomas is just younger enough than us, Sean, that the wait for Kingdom Hearts 3 is longer than half of his fucking life on this earth. Yeah, I mean, what, that's like all of, like, because Kingdom Hearts 2 came out when we were in middle school? like like Earlier, 2006. Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. Yes, no, yeah, so that would have been eighth grade for us because 2007 was oh, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. high school. Yeah. So eighth grade for us, yeah. He would have been in elementary grade. school. He would have been in fifth grade. Jesus, that's 
you know it's it's a momentous day for for thomas that he gets to finally be probably disappointed by kingdom hearts 3 i look forward to it on february 12th we're getting trials rising the new trials game which is the fourth trials game oh it's like the sixth isn't it no I, maybe it's the fifth because there's like trials hd trials Evolu- trials evolution which is the only one i played and i didn't even play that much of it then trials fusion trials fusion is in there somewhere i feel like there's another one but i could be wrong it, trials rising there's maybe there was trials fusion like two different games and like one was on consoles and one was on like mobile i feel like maybe i that's have no idea i'm looking it up now while you're this. looking that up, I'm just going to address that obviously it's not on this list because it already came out, but that Resident Evil 2 remake came out. That's yes. a 2019 game, and that looks very cool, and I want to play it. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Trials HD was technically a remake of two earlier games on Windows, Trials and Trials 2. But there's Trials HD, Trials Evolution, Trials Fusion, and Trials Rising. So you are correct. It's the fourth mainline boom. Trials. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. That's all those fucking Ubisoft E3 press conferences, baby. All of that coming back up. Yep. All right. February 15th has four gigantic games. It has Crackdown 3, maybe, Far Cry New Dawn, <laughs> Jump Force, and Metro Exodus. Good God. Yeah. Too many so games Crackdown, Crackdown 3, we've talked so much about that game, we do not need to talk about it anymore. Nope. Crackdown 3, there we go. Far Cry New Dawn. That's the like DLC, big DLC esque thing. It's not actually DLC, I don't think, but it's like using all the Far Cry Five stuff. No, I'm done. Far Cry Five. I'm done. I love those Far Cry games, and damn it, Ubisoft, you ruined all that shit. Jump Force. This is where I want to address one thing with Jump Force. I have been trying desperately for the past two weeks to have our first. 2019 edition of of my beta corner um, because they released a beta an online beta for jump force and it is the most incompetent fucking beta i've ever encountered because they it's only open for like a couple of hours on specific days and i don't i think it's done i think my window passed and i never found out couldn't figure out when the fuck to load up that beta to actually be able to play the game. So I kept on loading it up and picking some default Naruto-looking dude to play as. And it was like, thanks for playing the Jump Force beta. We're currently down for maintenance. And it's like, I didn't play the Jump Force beta because you don't... Like, the fucking beta doesn't tell you when you can play the beta. You have to go on, like, Namco's Twitter or some bullshit to figure it out. But then they changed the times and all the days because they skipped, like, Saturday and Sunday on one weekend because, like, we need to do extra maintenance. And I'm like, well, this is the one I was going to do and then they weren't doing it and then i never figured out when the fuck they're doing it again and so now i couldn't have played that beta and it's pissing me off jump force is the only one of these four games on this day i actually kind of want to play but i'm probably not playing any of these yeah i maybe will i've, I've always been really curious about the metro games people really like them they seem like cool russian first person shooters but i have not played them yet i i will this will they will be a franchise of games that I will continue to say I really want to play that and will probably never get around to playing it. But maybe Metro Exodus will get really great reviews and there will be like a spot in the year that I just pick it up and play it. Like that seems possible to me. On February nineteenth, we're getting Steins Gate Elite. This is a remake of the uh, classic visual novel Steins Gate that incorporates a bunch of the animation from the animes they've done for it. Um, so it like is a full almost video version of it. Sounds like it could be kind of cool. I don't know if I'll have time for it, but I've always wanted to play Steins Gate. People yeah. like that. I watched the Steins Gate anime. It's very good. And this reminds me that they made the Steins Gate Zero thing, which is another anime 
The Steins Gate. I have not watched it. I should probably watch it because I think it's on Crunchyroll. On February 21st, we're getting the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy uh, on Nintendo Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. This is the first time Phoenix Wright will be available on home consoles and is the original trilogy from the DS. I have always wanted to play these games. I never picked up the DS copies. I never picked up the 3DS versions. I, I don't know if I'll get this version or if it'll just make me go actually play the 3DS versions. But if it's cheaper, this would be a great way to play it. I've always wanted to play these. Yeah. I also just want to throw some shade at you, Jonathan, because you, you used the wrong right when you wrote Phoenix Wright Trilogy in the uh, podcast outline. You wrote W-R-I-T-E. It's W-R-I-G-H-T because that's the pun because he's always right because he's a lawyer and he says objection. He's right about things. No, 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 Sean. This is the knockoff Phoenix Wright, which is all about learning how to write. It's like one of those PC games like Hooked on Phonics. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, then I'm really, then I'll probably pick this up. I forgot. I didn't realize that this was the other Phoenix Wright games. Yes. On February 22nd, we're getting Anthem. I don't know what to think about Anthem, Sean. I really don't. Uh, There's this beta going on right now, but it's only for EA Access members, so I'm not in it. We'll probably check out the next beta that's public, but then it's so close to release. I just, I don't know. I really, because we've seen so little of it, they're not even telling us, like, what the fucking names of the planets are. Like, I just don't know. Have you heard any of the scuttlebutt coming out of the VIP demo? Only that it's buggy in terms of logging in. What else? Yeah, well, it's so it's like it's kind of hard to parse how much of this is just this game is bugged up the fucking ass partially because of network stuff. It sounds like there's some issues outside of networking, like infinite loading screens and stuff that people are running into. Um, But so it's hard to parse how much of the negative response is from the bugginess of the beta and how, but also there's a lot of people just saying like, "Mm, this game doesn't seem very good, even regardless of that stuff, like the combat doesn't sound great. And so it's, it's sounding not very good, like worse than I would have expected um, of news coming out of that beta. And so I'm really curious to see what, like, because I think it's going to be next week. So probably before the next podcast, we'll have time to play this game. If the open beta works, which is an open question, um, based on how I've heard this beta going, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm, but I'm now like, I do not get to be like optimistic or anything like cautiously optimistic about this game. I'm not pre-ordering it. Definitely. I I want to hear more. I, here's the thing, Sean, I feel like the, if we're using a statistics term, I think the modal outcome, like the most, if you ran the probabilities, what is the most common thing that would happen with this? is it's Mass Effect Andromeda. I think if you mm-hmm. look at the development timeline, the way EA has pushed things on Bioware, the problems with the Frostbite engine, and what it's coming out of with the beta, and, and just how bare bones the like storytelling and world looks from everything we've, from what little we've seen, the modal outcome to me is that this is another Mass Effect Andromeda, and this is probably it for Bioware, and it makes me really sad. I just don't see, like... The world in which this is destiny or better or slightly below destiny but still interesting, it feels like that's on the long end of the tail if you're mapping out the probabilities. And I just, I don't see the road where that happens, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope to death I'm wrong, but I just, I don't see it. Yeah. For me, like, the scary thing about Anthem is not just that it's a Mass Effect Andromeda. The scary thing is that it sits directly at the intersection of Destiny 1 and Mass Effect Andromeda, and that is a bad fucking neighborhood to be in, man. <laughs> like that. Yeah, if you had like, the... if it has all the problems of Destiny One combined with all the problems of Mass Effect Andromeda, without the like the golden thing of Destiny One, which was the combat was 
fucking killer in the setting was really cool. Like, if you don't have that, you're dead in the water. A game with the storytelling of Destiny 1 and the gameplay of Mass Effect Andromeda sounds like the seventh circle of hell. Yeah, and, like, all the bad, weird network, like, online stuff that they haven't figured out. Like, oh, oh, God. Which Destiny never had that problem. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Dead or Alive 6. I don't really know what Dead or Alive is, but there's a sixth one. It's uh, the fighting game franchise with the ladies and Ninja Gaiden Man is in it. And Dead or Alive 4 on the Xbox 360 had Nicole, who was a uh, female Spartan because it was an Xbox game. Nice. Uh, okay. I just told you everything I know about Dead or Alive. That's, thank you. That's March 1st. Also on March 1st, did you know there's a new Toe Jam and Earl game coming out called Toe yes, Jam and I, Earl Back in the Groove? Yeah, I believe it was kickstarted, so it's been in development for a little bit. And it's yeah. the original director of Toe Jam and Earl. It's his studio that he founded to do this. It was kickstarted. There's a lot of these coming out this year. I hope Toe Jam and Earl fans like it. I've never played Toe Jam and Earl. Um, I rented Toe Jam and Earl because I had a Sega Genesis when I was a kid. It was okay. I do not think... I do not think, like, even the most, like, ideal version of a Toe Jam and Earl game in 2019 would fall under anybody's definition of the word good, um, which is unfortunate, but it's cool that, you know, if you're a big fan of Toe Jam and Earl, this game is probably going to disappoint you, so I'm sorry. All right. On March 8th, we get Devil May Cry 5. I don't know what Devil May Cry is either. It's a third-person action combat series from Capcom um, that, like... There's a whole HD collection of the original 1 through 4 on PS4, and I have been toying with the idea of picking that up and playing those because I really liked the Ninja Theory reboot DMC Devil May Cry that they are now saying, we're not doing those anymore, we're just making Devil May Cry 5 in the original continuity. But I like that DMC game, so I kind of want to check out these Devil May Cry games, but who knows? That's my thought on that. Also on March 8th, we're getting Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn on 3DS. This is a remake of the original Wii game, Kirby's Epic Yarn. It is now Extra Epic. It's in 3D. It's on your 3DS. It's on here because there's not a lot of 3DS games. So, damn it, 3DS represent what little you have left. There you go. See, we already, like, the the 3DS board is not done yet. There's a fucking port of a Wii game. This is supposed to be a really good Kirby game, so I might check it out. Um, okay, uh, let's see. One Piece World Seeker is coming out March 15th. I mentioned this a couple months ago on the show out of, uh, Tokyo Game Show. It looks really good. I don't know a ton about One Piece. I've read the first, like, 20 volumes. I've, I've seen that much of, of the story. I like One Piece. I always wish I had more time in, in life to digest One Piece because there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of it. Um, but it looks like if you like One Piece, this looks like a cool game. Cool. The Division 2, March 15th. Mm. Do people still care about the division? What the what the hell is the division? Um, it's like Anthem. I mean, I know what it is, but but it's but it's Tom Clancy. Because this is one thing you missed a beat here, sir. It is Tom Clancy's The Division Two. Okay, so it's Thank like Anthem, much. but more racist. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like you know, my thoughts of the division are well recorded on this podcast when I did that beta, played that beta, and I was incredibly grossed out by the thought of not the thought of of actually playing that beta and being like playing as a like special forces of like armed american member of the military murdering american civilians in the streets because they're quote-unquote rioting um and it made me feel very gross and i could not play that game um for the people that like the like there is like a dedicated fan base that really likes the division i hope that people like the division too i will never be able to play those games all right. Uh, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice on March 22nd. Woo! 
We know yeah. where you're going to be at. Fuck yeah, that game looks rad. It looks like Ninja Dark Souls. It's you know I'm really glad that um, it's it's you know Dark Souls, but it's 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 the Dark Souls creator. It is that team, but they're not just making Dark Souls Four, which would be my fear because I like Dark Souls Three a lot. It was one of my favorite games of that year, but it was as much Dark Souls as that franchise I think could do. And so Sekiro being something going in a very different direction, being way more aggressive, way more action based. Uh, that sounds really awesome. It looks fucking awesome. Uh, it was one of my favorite trailers and like like game announcements from E3 last year. And it's probably so far what we've looked at is 100 percent my most anticipated game of 2019. Awesome. I you know maybe this is the place where I finally jump in on the From Software bandwagon because this isn't Dark Souls. Like, I'm sure it's Dark Souls-y, but if it's not the exact same thing, maybe it gives me more of an opening to come in, you know? We can only hope. All right. Walking Dead, Episode 4. March 26th. Walking Dead. This is Telltale's Walking Dead, which is itself now a Walking Dead thing. It is a zombie franchise. This yeah. whole thing is so gross. Um, yeah. It's over. They're finally going to yeah, put I've like. Head. Completely just lost track of how that whole situation ended up playing out with the other company that came in. It's just like weird. Yeah, it's very strange. All right, Tropico Six on March twenty ninth. I don't know what Tropico is. It's like a like it's kind of like Civilization meets um like Sim City kind of. It's one of those. It's like you're like playing this like South American dictator kind of character and building up the society. And weird stuff. It's a franchise that's been around forever. I've never played them. I've never known anybody to play them. But I somehow know what those games are. Awesome. All right. Also in March, our last game of March, March 29th, is Yoshi's Crafted World, the long-awaited debut of Yoshi on the Nintendo Switch. This game looks like something special. It looks really cool and fun, and, and the visuals look amazing. So I am excited for that. I'm glad that they came up with a better title for the game than just Yoshi. Yes. On March 5th, we also on Nintendo Switch get Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission, which as we talked about last week, we don't know if it's going to be a good game, may or may not, but it is Dragon Ball Heroes in English, and for that, I think I am contractually obligated to play this game. Yeah, I will probably end up downloading it on Steam, because fuck it, why not? Shovel Knight is getting its final expansions on April 9th. It's been a long road for Shovel Knight. It is finally coming to a close with Shovel Knight King of Cards. Uh, which is a single-player expansion, and Shovel Knight Showdown, which is a multiplayer expansion. Shovel Knight um, Spectre of Torment, which was the last one that came out in 2017, is so fucking good. Maybe better than the base game. I cannot wait for this. Shovel Knight is just one of the best games of this generation. It's one of the best side-scrolling like platform action games you'll ever play. Everyone should play Shovel Knight, and I'm excited there's more of it coming out. Cool. All right. In April, we're getting uh, April sixteenth. We're getting Final Fantasy X and ten two on the Switch. Later in April, on April thirtieth, we're getting Final Fantasy twelve on the Switch. These are obviously long extant ports, but we're getting them on Switch. And I will probably. I really wanted to play Final Fantasy twelve when it came out on PS four, and I never got around to it. And now that it's coming to Switch, I might have to make time for it if there's not a ton of other stuff going on at the at the time. Yeah. And it comes out right as summer is starting. So, you know, maybe that's time to, to do another big JRPG. All right. Uh, you will be still playing Dragon Quest by then. Good, good so point. Don't, 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 don't count your JRPGs until you've played them or something. I don't know how that expression works. All right. Uh, also in April, uh, Mortal Kombat 11 is coming out April 23rd. I didn't know there were 11 of these. There's, there's a lot. Um, I don't like Mortal Kombat that much. But I will say 
that that the like animation in those games has always been just complete ass. Like I've just hated the way those games have looked. Like the punches and everything, just like it never just felt like there's any attention to making these characters look like they are martial artists or people that are experienced fighting, and it, it just looked stilted and gross. Um, Mortal Kombat 11, they have finally fixed that. It has been like 30 fucking years or something, and they finally made a Mortal Kombat game where the punches look like somebody throwing a punch. Congratulations. And then also in April, April 26th, we are getting Days Gone, which is uh, the long-awaited PS4 exclusive that they announced years ago. It's the zombie game that looks kind of bland, but there's a lot of zombies. I don't know. We'll, as this gets closer, I would love for this to be another feather in the PS4's cap. I don't know if it will be, but we shall find out. Yeah, I feel like Days Gone has been like, you know, at this point it's just like beating a dead horse. It's it's just this like pinata or something hanging up in the Sony like first party lineup that people like taking the bat to. And I understand it because the game has not showed well at all. But zombie games, motorcycle, there's something there. In May, we get Rage 2 on May 14th. We also get Team Sonic Racing on May 21st, and that wraps up the dated games, except for Shenmue 3, which they're saying is coming out August 27th. It's uh, very ambitious. Yes. I have to say, Sean, so far, in terms of games we know are coming out, are dated, very few I'm actually excited for. Yeah, like Rage 2, I'm pretty curious about, because that had a decent showing, um, and, you know, like I like a decent first-person shooter. I'm playing Destiny 2 right now, and that's a very good first-person shooter. Um, so that might be okay. But other than that, it's like, for me, it's really Sekiro is the only one of these that I'm really excited for. Honestly, the only one I know I will be buying is Yoshi. Hmm. Other than that, like, yeah. I there's a lot of these I would like to. But, like, I'm also in a mood where, like, because there's not a ton I feel a desperate need to cover on this show... I would be happy taking a little bit of a backseat for a couple months here and playing my Dragon Quest and catching up on Destiny and just letting myself live in my backlog for a little while. I would like that. Yeah. Maybe, you know, look, Nintendo could have a Direct tomorrow and announce, like, you know, 50 fucking things are coming out before May and that will just get shredded. Or you could tell me, like, Jonathan, Sekiro is totally for you. You should absolutely play this and I would trust your recommendation. So we'll see. I, I don't know. Anthem could be really good, and we could wind up playing that. But there's a lot of question marks. Yeah. No, it's definitely, like, 2019 feels like this is the year where the sense our sense of Microsoft and Sony are transitioning to new consoles is going to feel real. Halfway through this year, it's going to feel like, yep, now I see why. That's that's my prediction of what 2019 is going to be like. Interesting. Well, let's look at all the games that are announced, we're pretty sure are coming out this year, but don't have dates. We start with Animal Crossing for Switch. I predict this will be a summer game, like May, June, July, yeah. and it will be absolutely huge, and I'm sure it will be good. There hasn't been an Animal Crossing game in a long time. The last one was New Leaf, which came out the first or second year of the 3DS, so that was like 2012. It's been forever. So uh, yeah, you're forgetting everybody's favorite Animal Crossing game, Pocket Camp. Uh, you can play Animal Crossing right on your phone right now, Jonathan. Chrissy Teigen said it was no good, and she is the ultimate authority on Animal Crossing. On Twitter, Fair enough. Okay. Uh, do you even know who I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. Good. All right. I am excited for that though. That because that's the thing. I think I agree. I think Microsoft. Well, Microsoft has had nothing but down years. Sony is probably going to have a relative like dip this year. 
Nintendo has a crazy year coming up, even with Metroid Prime 4 taken off the schedule, and we'll hit some of these. Um, but Animal Crossing is going to be a big one. Platinum Games has their new game, Babylon's Fall. Um, I don't yeah. know if that'll actually be 2019, but they're saying... I don't, because that we only got like a very vague teaser kind of yeah. trailer at E3. So I would not be surprised if this slips out of 2019, because we don't know what that game is. Yeah. Uh, a new Battletoads game from Microsoft. We know nothing about it. They said 2019. It's another one I'm putting in the category of maybe, maybe not. Um, I, th- I bet that comes out, and I bet nobody cares. Yes. Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night. This is a kickstart game. It's the Castlevania people are trying to make a new Castlevania game, basically. I don't know. What's what's the pulse on this one at this point? Are people excited about it? Are they angry about it? I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's not Mighty Number no. 9. It's not like, like because both those games started their Kickstarters around the same time. Yeah. Um, I think Mighty Number no. 9 was a little bit earlier. Um, but, but people were down on Mighty Number no. 9 for a long time before that game came out. My sense is that people aren't, like, dreading the release of Bloodstained, but I don't hear a lot of positivity around it. They did release that game that it was like a Bloodstained, like, smaller thing that was more classic 2D Castlevania, like Castlevania on the NES style, and people liked that when that came out. Yeah. Like, it was a small blip. It was a little game, but people liked that. So, you know, Metroidvanias are big. There were lots of uh, fucking shit ton of indie Metroidvania games came out last year. So maybe, like, it might be okay, but I, I'm not, like, really looking forward to it or anything. Catherine from Atlas, it's getting its remake, Catherine Full Body. I think that's already yeah. out in Japan. I, I think... I'm pretty sure it is. We're yeah. waiting for the localization of that. Uh, Code Vein, this is the new Bandai Namco game that's supposed to be Dark Souls-esque, but with vampires. Yeah, I feel like that was at, like, two or three E3s, and they was just kept on being like, when we did our E3 podcast, it was one of those games that's like, it's a Dark Souls game, and then we moved on. Yes. Concrete Genie, this is the PlayStation Pixel Opus game, looks like it could be cool. Yeah, that, that had a really good trailer. Control, that's the new third-person game from Remedy, also looks like it could be cool. Yeah, that's that's up there for me of these in terms of games that, if that comes out this year, I will probably play Control. Yeah. Uh, Damon X Machina, which is the Switch game, the new Switch IP, it's like a second-party Nintendo game, looks awesome, big mech game. Um, I'm excited for that. Another feather in Nintendo's cap there. Yeah. Uh, Digi- mech, I'm always down for some, some fucking mech shit. Yep. Digimon Survive, the survival strategy Digimon game. Getting a worldwide release. We talked about that before. Hey, I will try Digimon. Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth, game of the year 2016. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about how long you stuck with the Pokemon show, I was just thinking during that whole conversation, the reason I fell off of that is because Digimon was so much fucking better. All right, Dragon Quest Builders 2. I mentioned that earlier as well. That's easily one of my most anticipated games this year. Uh, Dreams is supposed to be coming to PS4 this year, but that was announced, like, with the PS4, right? Yes, yeah, that was... I mean, it looked almost completely different back then, but yeah, that was Media Molecule had, like, this whole weird thing on the announce... Like, not the first E3, the announcement with, like, Mark Cerny yes. came out and we were introduced to two. Here's, like, soft-spoken Mark Cerny, who's, like, basically is a walking ASMR video. Like, and, and here's Dreams and Media Molecules doing something crazy. Have you seen any of the stuff from that game recently, Jonathan? No, I just kind of know I want to play it, so I'm not looking at it, but... It, fucking some of the shit that people are making with that game looks incredible there's some sort of closed beta thing that is going on right now and a couple of people have ended up breaking um their their the deal or whatever where they've they've leaked out 
what the stuff that they've been making and then someone made a remake of uh pt that looks shockingly accurate to pt and wow. like there's the sound files from the radio are in there and it's that fucking hallway and it's just the level of detail that people are making shit in dreams is utterly astounding and so i am really curious to see what that game is going to be like once it gets into like wider hands what is the kind of stuff that people are going to be making because the little glimpses i've seen of what people have been making and what i've heard from um impressions of people that have played the game it sounds like that thing has a tremendous potential to be an incredibly powerful like way more powerful user generated content tool than anything we've ever seen yeah i i think it's going to be one of the if that's this year for ps4 uh it's going to be one of the biggest deals on that system yeah all right. Uh, back to Nintendo Switch. Final Fantasy VII, Nine, and Crystal Chronicles are all coming. Crystal Chronicles is also getting a remake. Uh, that remake is coming to Xbox and PS4 as well. Um, so weird that we have the date for 12 and 10, but not 7 and 9. I don't really get that, yeah. but Final Fantasy is finally coming to Switch, and I'm happy. Um, Fire Emblem Three Houses. This is probably, if I'm being honest, the game... We've talked about so far I'm most excited for this year, especially now that we definitely know we're not getting Metroid Prime 4. Uh, yeah. I think Fire Emblem will probably be um, an April game, is my guess. Um, they haven't dated it yet, but I think it's it's going to be earlier this year. That tends to be when they put out Fire Emblem. Uh, Gears of War 5. They're making another Gears of War game. Nobody cares. Judgment, uh, as it's called in America, or Judge Eyes, as it is much better called in Japan. That is the new game from the Yakuza people, and it looks dope as shit, and you don't have to play eight games to understand its story. So I am excited for Judgment. Fucking A, that game just looks so good. The buzz out of it when it came out in Japan is really good. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Luigi's Mansion 3 on Switch. Cool. Yeah. It it I'm going to put it I'm making a list of games that may or may not come out this year. I think that could get pushed out of 2019, but again, when Nintendo does like a Mario-esque title and they give a date, they're usually pretty firm on that. Uh Mario Kart Tour on iPhone, that will either be the end of civilization or it will just be a shrug. I didn't even know they were making it. Like it kind of feels like Nintendo's like mobile game thing slowed down real. They made the Super Mario Run they made that Fire Emblem game that probably still makes them like a billion dollars a year, and that Animal Crossing game, and there's kind of been nothing since then. You know why? Because the Switch is selling like hotcakes, and their investors aren't up their ass about it. True. Yeah. They. I mean, because still, that their hearts Fire were clearly never in it, though. Money. Right? Like, nin- yeah. The Nintendo people never wanted to do that. That was a shareholders thing. Yeah, but you know, that fucking money's still there. Yep. It's still they got that fucking gotcha turning. And it's it's just going. It's just eating people up. Another Switch exclusive is Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order. Um, this looks pretty cool. It's by uh, Team Ninja. Is that right? The Yes. Okay. The Ninja Gaiden. Yes. Some of those other games. Yeah, those people. Yeah, it, it looks good. Um, I hope it's good. The old, original Ultimate Alliance games were pretty fun, and this could be cool. Uh, I totally forgot about this. Minecraft Dungeons, which is the Minecraft dungeon crawler Microsoft is making to wring the last bits of life out of Minecraft. That's coming out. Okay, yeah, sure. Pokemon Gen 8 on Switch. That's going to be... That's that's going to sell a scary number of copper. Yeah. Oh, I'm, well, the thing I'm most curious about with that is how much of like the Let's Go Pikachu, Let's Go Eevee stuff, is any of that stuff going to bleed into that game? I don't think so. I, I think... 
because they've already said that they're not doing the same catching mechanics. It's going to be more oh. traditional in that sense. But if you look at the last few Pokemon games that Game Freak has made, like Black and White, X and Y, Sun and Moon, those games have gotten so experimental in so many ways with the visuals, with some of the ways they've, like, they ditched gyms in Sun and Moon. They've reconfigured how they do storytelling, like... I think this, honestly, is one of the most exciting games to me this year because this is the first time the Pokemon team has made a full, from-the-ground-up console Pokemon game. Uh, Let's Go was clearly on the 3DS engine. It looks nice, but it, it didn't look like a full console game. And I think given... Like, if you look, there are parts of Black and White and X and Y and Sun and Moon where they so clearly wanted to have a console where they could have, like two sticks and you run around in 3D and the idea of this team just being unleashed on something with home console power I think people are underestimating how exciting this could be I think this could be a really big moment for Pokemon yeah no I agree yeah uh, Psychonauts 2 just I've never played Psychonauts 1 but people really like that game it's probably good. It's for them. Uh, sea of Solitude. That's that kind of cool EA game where EA had that woman come out and talk about sea and loneliness. And I thought that was cool. It was the one moment of E3's presser last year I liked. So that game's coming out apparently. Yeah. Skull and Bones. This is the Ubisoft game that uh, is sort of based on the mechanics from uh, Assassin's Creed 4. It's been pushed a couple of times. I still would not be super confident it comes out this year. But it looks neat if it ever comes out. Yeah, I feel like the last time we saw that game, it felt like they were shifting the scope of it because it was originally like this, like seemed like a multiplayer only thing, and then now I feel like it's maybe in some weird sort of like middle ground. So yeah, I would not be surprised if that gets pushed and and continues to evolve as they kind of reshape what that game is. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. The sure, sure, it's not coming out. Yeah, those, you know, that's the game that had the most half-assed announcement of any video game ever, which was just Vince Ampella from, from Respawn just sitting in the, the audience of E3 being like, yeah, we're making a Star Wars game. It's set between the movie, the 3 and the 4 one, and it's Jedi and it's the Fallen Order. That we're doing it. And that was it. Town, the Nintendo Switch RPG by Game Freak. It's the the Pokemon company did a non-Pokemon game. It's this game where you play inside a town. Looks like it could be a cool little experiment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Blizzard is doing a Warcraft 3 remaster called Warcraft 3 Reforged. And they're also this year doing World of Warcraft Classic, which is the classic server stuff. Um, excited for either of those? Uh, Warcraft 3 has a hell of a fucking campaign, so I don't know if I would go back to it and play it, but I'm glad that there's a more modern version out there that if I get the hankering for to play some, like, Arthas and Thrall and stuff, I would definitely pick that up. Um, World of Warcraft Classic, no thank you. I did not want to, like... World of Warcraft was cool. World of Warcraft is cool. I do not want to go back to the, like, grindy-ass thing that game was way back in the day. Um... I think it's it's nice that for people that want to, and I think it's a cool time capsule. Um, but I think for most people that are playing World of Warcraft, you maybe think you want to go back to the way that World of Warcraft was. You don't want to go back to the way World of Warcraft. You can never go back. Like it's not the way you remember it. You're just going to run into all like the pain in the ass shit when there was no fucking looking for group features and you could never get anything together and it just took forever and everything was way too expensive and you had to get level forty to get your fucking mount and so it just took a year to get anywhere in that game. They just continued to make that game way better. So like 
yeah, Wild Vanilla. I'm glad that they're doing it, but I will never, I will never play it. All right, Wolfenstein Young Blood. I feel like I don't know what that game is. I feel like I thought it was Wolfenstein Three when they did that first trailer, and then it was like, no, it's not really Wolfenstein Three. It's maybe a co-op thing. I I want to be excited for it because I really like those other two Wolfenstein games, but I feel like I just don't know what that game is, and I wish that they were. I wish that they. I want them to show trailer or something so I get a better sense of what they're trying to sell me. I'm pretty sure it's Wolfenstein 2.5. Like, it's now that people yeah. don't do DLC campaigns, they just do full game releases that are otherwise DLC, like Uncharted The Lost Legacy or something. Like, that's what this is. And that's fine. Yeah. That's Those can be really good. So, there we go. And our final category, Sean, this is games we do not know about. These are games that are in the ether but do not have an announced year. They have not committed to a year of release. All right? Yes. Okay. And we're going to go through these, and the main question for these, Sean, is are they this year or are they not? And actually, one of these was Dragon Ball Game Project Z, but they committed to 2019 today, so I'm moving that back onto the 2019 list. Yeah, we already talked about it, so yeah. All right. Uh, Doom Eternal. This is the sequel to Doom. We're very excited for it. Do you think that hits 2019? I think so, yeah. I, it does, it, based on that trailer, it looked like it was pretty far along. It doesn't look like they're changing so much about the game that it have a tremendously long development cycle. So I'm guessing that that comes out like this holiday season. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, okay, uh, Halo Infinite. Halo Infinite is not an Xbox One game. I think it's, an, it's the next Xbox. It might be a launch title for it. It's probably even later than that, I think. We will have gotten out of this generation, and Microsoft will have made exactly one Halo game for the Xbox One, and that will be Halo 5. Halo Infinite is not coming anytime soon. I, I agree with everything you just said, except for there are two Halo games for the, for the Xbox One. There's Halo 5, and there's Halo Wars 2. That is correct. That is that is technically, that is correct. All right. Thank you. Last of Us 2. I think this hits 2019. Yeah, I think of of the three Sony first-party games that we have on this list, I think Last of Us 2 is the most likely to come out in fall of 2019, and I think one of them is definitely going to come out this year. So yes. that's my bet. I mean, they have to have something. They, just, they literally yeah. have to have something, so it's probably this. Uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. This is the Ori and the Blind Forest sequel, which has been teased more than I remembered. It's been at multiple E3s. It's never come out. I think this is probably its year, but Microsoft still isn't committing. My prediction is that this is going to be either an E3, hey, it's out right now, or an E3, hey, it's out next week. Yeah, I think it, it's, I definitely think it's coming out this year. I think you have it spot on of like, I bet it's the summer. Yeah. That's where I would place this game. But I, yeah, I definitely don't think it's slipping to 2020. Ghost of Tsushima. I do, that's, no, that's not coming out this year. I, like, it's, it's the most recently announced of the Sony first party games. Um, like, I, I'm betting 2020 for that game, but I, I certainly don't think it's coming out 2019. I think there's a very good chance that if 2020 is the PS5, that this is a cross-platform game. That's possible, yeah. Or it's like the, you know, that, like, March or something be that year. Yeah. And the PS5 comes out the fall. And then maybe, hopefully, PS5 is backwards compatibility, so it's, like, already sort of a cross-gen game or something. But, yeah, we'll see for that. I mean, this is a bigger conversation I want to have later this year, Sean, is just what the fuck are the next-generation consoles? Because I really don't know. Other than they're going to be a little more powerful, like, there does not feel like there's an obvious avenue for what the next big thing is, the way there has been between every other generation of systems. I'm, I'm really curious how they, how they pitch it, how they sell it. 
what do we think they're going to look like? It's 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 very confusing to me. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, okay, but that's Ghost of Tsushima. Death Stranding. I think the answer to this is you just put your hands up in the air and go, I don't fucking know. Yeah, exactly. That's, this is the one that's like, I feel fairly confident Last of Us 2 is this year. I feel pretty confident that Ghost of Tsushima is next year. Like, I think there's a chance that Ghost of Tsushima comes out this year. I don't think that that's impossible, but I don't think it's very likely. Death Stranding? Death Stranding could come out fucking tomorrow, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised. It'd just be like, okay, sure. I don't know. It could come out tomorrow. This week could be, it could be fucking 2025 and, and the PS5 Pro or something, and now Death Stranding's coming out. It could be anything. I have absolutely no clue. What about Neo 2? I think Neo 2 definitely comes out this year. I'm very excited for it. It seems like it's not going to be a huge change in terms of the core of the game um, based on, like, the one trailer they showed. So I I think it's going to be a very, like, short dev cycle. But I'm hoping that that means that they have all the foundation of Neo 1 so that they just put a bunch of new monsters and bosses and levels on top of it, which is honestly what I want. That and, like, new weapon types. Awesome. Bayonetta 3. This was announced for Switch, like, mm. a year and a half ago. I think it was, like, the Game Awards 2017, and we have not heard a peep out of it since... It's probably this year, but I'm really not sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think it's early next year. That's where I'm gonna. That's okay. where I'm betting for Bayonetta three. It could come out this year. It's either that or it's early next year. Final Fantasy seven remake. No, no, just no. It's the, not not this year. Not next year. Not the year after. Never. It's not happening. I mean, that's <laughs> I just don't think it's happening anymore. Legitimate question: Do you think it's ever happening? Because I'm leaning on I don't actually think we're ever gonna see it, but. I don't know. Yeah, I think my my answer to this question when we've talked about it the last time was that it would happen. And I have now, like, my feelings are starting to shift a little bit. It's like, "Mm, maybe it just doesn't. Maybe this is, like, it feels like this game got, like, canceled and redone, like, Metroid Prime 4 style, just behind the scenes, like, twice or something. Like, it just feels like they haven't said anything about it in forever i mean they haven't shown anything about it for even long what happened is that tetsuya nomura was like working on it a little tiny bit and then he had to go do kingdom hearts 3 and so it was just it's not been in development for like three or four years and so now he might go back to it but he might not like i I think people are underestimating how like not a game this was when it was announced you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, it was definitely announced when it was in fucking pre-production. Yeah, but even then, it feels like we should have more stuff about what that game is by this point. And so, yeah, it feels like that one maybe never comes out. Elder Scrolls Six. No, no that's definitely that's de- that that is of all the games here, I feel by far the most confident <laughs> saying that game is not coming out in 2019 because that game is not even in development. No. It's in, it's in some form of pre-production, I'm sure. You know, I went back and I was... They made a logo for it. <laughs> you know, Sean, I went back and I was playing some Elder Scrolls V over Christmas on my Switch. Yeah. How big a mistake do you think Bethesda made just letting Elder Scrolls lap this entire console generation? Hmm. And, and that yeah. the only games Bethesda Game Studios put out were Fallout 4, which everyone was like, eh, and Fallout 76, which everyone was like, nope. I mean, Fallout 76, at least, was not... That's not the same team. Like, that's a different studio. I think they're in, like, Austin or something. Okay. So that's that was not them, like, them spending their people on it. They just, like... Todd Howard just went out to sort of pimp Okay. Um, but, yeah, Fallout 4 was disappointing. And it feels like, you know, the next game... Well, not the next game on this list, but, but later on, we have Starfield. I think Starfield will come out on these consoles. I think it'll be, like, right at the end. It'll probably be, like, a cross-gen, like, there'll be a PS4 version and a PS5 version. Okay. 
Um, and so for that, that being a new IP, I, I think that that's cool. It's um, very cool. I just, they've yeah. been fucking around with the franchise that's not good <laughs> to me. Like, I mean, I, I, like Fallout 3 sold a lot. Fallout 3 is a really good game. Fallout 4 sold a lot. Fallout 4 is not as good of a game, but it's still a good game. Like, I don't think it's a horrible mistake because also, while nobody really talks about it other than Bethesda at E3, like, there are a couple million people playing Elder Scrolls Online. That's true. Continuously. So that game has been very successful for them, and I imagine that's one of the reasons why they have not put out another Elder Scrolls game and kind of put that franchise more on the back burner is that they don't, maybe just didn't want to step on the toes of this, like, moneymaker that's just been churning in the background the whole time. That's true. Um... So yeah, like I think it's a bummer that it's been felt so long because even though I do enjoy the Fallout stuff and I like Fallout 4, Elder Scrolls is definitely my preferred of those two franchises. But I am honestly more interested in Starfield than than anything from that studio. Yeah. So Starfield, we already mentioned. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Do you think that's this year? It it could be. No. But it's probably not. No, I really don't think. Um, I'm guessing 2020, 2021 at the latest. But I definitely do not think that's coming out this year. Okay. I mean, we're now playing the game of, like, how many of these are actual PS4 games? How many are PS5? If, exactly. If the PS5 and the Xbox 2 are really just, like, the Pro .5 or something, which I think is what they probably are, like, most of these big games probably will be able to run on the PS4, and they'll probably be fine, which also begs the question, like, what is going to be the driving factor in making people buy new consoles in 2020? Which, again, this is why we have to have this conversation but I'm very curious what all this stuff is, you know? Yeah. And Beyond yeah, Good sure. and Evil 2. That's, you know, that's their, I guess they're making that game. Or I guess the audience is making that game for them through fucking spec labor. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know what the fuck that game is. I don't, I don't think they know. I mean, clearly they don't know what that game is because they've never known how to pitch it. Um, it had a very cool C- it's had two very cool CG cinematic trailers. Both of those CG trailers are very cool. Yeah. Um, but other than that, a, that game is not coming out this year. B, that game is maybe never coming out. That's my thoughts on Beyond Good and Evil 2. All right. So, Sean, we are now going to do our game for the video games of 2019. I mean, actually, before we get to the game, though, Sean, uh-huh. I just want to ask the big question. Do you think 2019 is going to be a down year? Do you think we're going to get to the end of 2019 and feel like this great run we had of 16, 17, 18 might fallow a little bit, or do you think we could be surprised and it's going to be just as good, it's just in areas we're not seeing yet? I think it's going to be better than it looks based on, like, this list we've gone through, because that's how that always works, is that there's stuff that has not been announced yet, or games that have that you've talked about, they were like, eh, who knows? Like, this thing, this is like, whatever. Like, maybe Devil May Cry 5 comes out and it just blows everyone out of the water. Like, who knows? You know, th- that kind of stuff always happens. Um, but I think it's definitely going to be a dip compared to 15... 16, 17, like, I, I definitely, and 18, like, that whole stretch, or, like, more like the second half of 2015, but, yeah, like, that stretch was really strong, and I feel like this is, we're seeing that shift where it's that awkward period of, layer. like, we're starting, like, the games that were starting development last year and even two years ago are probably targeted for the next generation of consoles, so it's, like, this weird period where we're going to get a big dump like we got in 2013 for the Xbox 360 and the PS3 of like, here's a bunch of really good fucking games coming out right at the end, like Last of Us, Bioshock Infinite, all that. 
um, that are like, here's our like Hail Mary on these consoles. We did it. Like we don't have to worry about anything. We just we've have mastered this hardware. I think we're going to get that next year um, with some of the Sony stuff. And this year, I think is going to be a little bit of a down year, but I don't think it's going to be as dire as like 2014 was, which was if you did not own a Wii U and you were only playing like the on the newest consoles, that year had almost nothing to offer you other than Dragon Age and like kind of Lord of the Rings, and even that was not very good. So. Yes. Yeah, I think it's going to be better than that, but I don't think it's going to. Be, it's not going to be good as as good as the past couple of years for sure. I think you're probably right. That's my that's my f- gut feeling, but who knows? Gut could be wrong. I think I think Nintendo is going to have a big year, and there's a lot that Nintendo we should be excited about. But for the other one, like Xbox has nothing. They never have anything these days. But they're dead in the water. Sony's going to be the big question mark, I think, because they have a lot of nets out in the water. We just don't know if they're coming in this year or not. You know. Exactly, yeah. All right, so Sean here. Like, one game I do want to say, thinking about Microsoft, one game we didn't talk about is Forza Motorsport 8, a game that has not been announced, a game that will be coming out this year. <laughs> I fucking That's very you. true. Who cares? Uh, no offense to Forza fans. I'm one of them. But anyway, all right. So, Sean, here's how we're going to do our draft for 2019. Last year, we drafted from a list of games where we said... We were trying to predict games that would not come out, right? So, like, when we took our draft, like, my number one pick was Kingdom Hearts 3. Your number one pick was Pokemon Gen 8. We were both correct. And we went down the list like that. We are doing the reverse this year. We are from this list of games, and I'm going to show you the list is, which ones are we going to put money down? Not real money, but, you know, figurative money down. Podcast money. Podcast money down. Not that this podcast makes any fucking money. Uh, (laughs) Podcast money down will come out this year. Like... Or that we think has the best probability, all right? So, like, your number one pick would be, which of these do you think has the best probability of coming out this year? Down to, you know, our last possible pick would be Elder Scrolls Six, right? Right, yeah. Okay, okay. yes. Now, we're going to have 20 games total, which means each of our list is going to have 10. So, Sean, you have the section there that says games we don't know. Under that, you have other games might get delayed out of 2019. Uh, make sure you have their Bloodstained, Shenmue 3... Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Babylon's mm-hmm. Fall, you might have to add that one, New Battletoads, Dreams, and Skull and Bones. And that brings us up to 20. Skull and Bones. Just so we're, okay. just so we're working with the same 20 games. Okay, right? so, okay, so that's everything that's in games we don't know, and then those that you just told me. Yes. Okay. So you, have, you should have 20 total so far. Probably. I will not count them all, but I think we're good. Okay, good. All right, so Sean... Last year when we did this, we flipped a coin, and I got to go first. I will be gracious and let you go first this time, since this is the next draft. Okay, so of these games, the one that I'm most confident will come out this year is Dreams. I think Dreams will come out this year. Interesting. Okay. Because that game is in, like, closed beta right now. That makes sense. I am grabbing Ori and the Will of the Wisps. It's a good grab. Uh, For mine, That that, that feels easy. Um, okay, so we have crossed off Dreams, and we have crossed off Ori and the Will of the Wisps. You get to go again. Um, the next one I will go for is Neo 2. I think that Neo 2 will come out this year. Okay. I am going to grab Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal seems like pretty sure bet for this year. I think that is a very good grab, because that is the next one that I was going to say. Um... Okay. Uh, are we not doing Dragon Ball Game Project Z? That one's no. Uh, sorry, one. yeah, cross that one off. Um, yeah. Because that one, I, I Japanese games come out when they say they're going to come out. <laughs> generally, yeah. 
Okay, um, then I will go for Bloodstained. Interesting. Okay, so Bloodstained is what you're taking for your number yes. three spot. Uh, where is that on this? There, okay, okay, so we've taken Bloodstained. All right, I'm going to take Last of Us 2. Good pick. Strong pick. Last of Us Part 2, we should be calling it. You know, we got to be proper here. Yes. All right. Um, this I will this take, gets hard really fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take Battletoads, whatever the fuck that Battletoads game is. Okay. I'll take Battletoads. That makes sense. All right. I'm not going to play Battletoads, but I will pick it for this dumb game. Okay. Uh, oh, boy. This is oh boy. This is getting hard. I'm going to take Bayonetta 3. Shit. That's the one I was going to pick. Sorry. Okay. So we each have four. Yeah. So my number five will be... This is out of Halo, Ghost of Tsushima, Death Stranding, Final Fantasy VII, Elder Scrolls VI, Cyberpunk, Starfield, Beyond Good and Evil 2, Shinmu 3, Star Wars, Babylon's Fall, and Skull and Bones. So we are definitely in the shit now. I know what I'd take. I There's a couple here. This is probably not the right pick, but this is the pick from the heart, and I'm going to fucking do it because I like Shinmu. Award goes to Shenmue 3. I'm picking Shenmue mother, motherfucking 3. Shenmue is what I Come was going to pick. Shenmue is already a year past its original date, so I think you're correct on that. But it's Shenmue 3, Jonathan. It's Shenmue 3. You, don't, you shouldn't bet on Shenmue 3, but I am. I'm going to take for my number 5, Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones yes, has been yeah. delayed like three times. I think it probably comes out this year. But I don't know. It depends on whether or not there's another Assassin's Creed this year. Yeah. So we'll see. There's, I think they've said that there's not okay. another Assassin's Creed. Then I think yeah. I'm correct on that. Yeah. Skull and Bones was going to be the other one I was... That, I think Skull and Bones is more likely than Shinmu 3, but I like Shinmu. Yes. So I like Shinmu more than Pirates. All right. I'm going to... Because so now I think we really have picked yes. all the ones that are likely to come out this year. Um, I'm going to go with Babylon's Fall. It's a dark horse contender. Since we don't know much about it, I feel like that gives me hope. You know, remember yeah. on that, we had that fucking Soul Calibur 6 or whatever one that got, I got fucked on that because it was like that game was barely announced when we talked about it this time last year when we did this game. And, and that game came out that the year it was announced in. So maybe Babylon's Fall will do the same. I think you're correct. Now, I'm going to go kind of bold here because I think, you know, placement matters for our scoring system. It's true. I'm grabbing Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order because That's where I, was gonna go. I mm-hmm. don't. I don't think it comes out at all, frankly. Like, I think there's a, significant, <laughs> there's a significant chance that this year ends with Respawn gone and all those people fired and laid off. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there's as good a chance that Titanfall 2 was the last game, like, released by Respawn Entertainment as there is that this Star Wars game comes out. Yes, but I think if this game does come out, I think it comes out this year because EA needs it to come out this year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think there's a chance that it, they just fucking push this thing out this year. Yeah. Um, and that's it. All right. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> of the ones remaining of games that are not going to release in 2019, but you have to make some stand for that they will, I'm going to pick Death Stranding. Oh, that was going to be mine. <laughs> that has been at a lot of E3s. That game is not coming out in 2019, but it's been at enough E3s that it should come out in 2019. All right. Uh, in the same vein, Sean, I am grabbing Ghost of Tsushima because yeah. I think I think Death Stranding is. Who the fuck knows which one is more or less likely. But I think, like, if we're saying, is there a chance? I think there's a tail possibility Ghost of Tsushima is this year. Yeah, I yeah. Ghost of Tsushima has had way more shown about it than any of these other games. So I think that yeah. is the right choice. 
okay, now these are really games that are not coming out this year. I'm going to pick Cyberpunk 2077. Okay. Because that is the only game on this list, I believe, that we have seen any actual gameplay for. So, Good point. Uh, I'm going to pick Cyberpunk 2077. I am grabbing, for my number eight, Halo Infinite. I mm. guess on the theory that I could be wrong, this is an Xbox One game, and if so, they have nothing else this year. They need a Halo game. This would be four years between Halo games, which is unprecedented. If it's further, it would be five. I think Halo Infinite could be this year. I think it's a very, very tail possibility, but it's the last one on this list I think I can make an argument for. I I agree with you there that that would have been the one that I would pick. Because like, Halo Infinite is the game that if we lived in the world where Microsoft did the same thing that Nintendo has done, we would have had Phil Spencer standing in a white void talking about, we were making Halo 6... But it wasn't going very well, so we scrapped that production and we're starting over because that's 100% what Halo Infinite is. Yes. Um, the next, so for people playing at home, the remaining four games <laughs> that are definitely coming out in 2019 are the remake of Final Fantasy VII, Elder Scrolls VI, a game that doesn't even have a subtitle, uh, Starfield, and Beyond Good and Evil 2. I know what I'd pick. I'm, I'm gonna pick. The Dark Horse Contender Final Fantasy VII <laughs> Remake. Because that's the game that we've known has been in development the longest of these games. And remember, they and were going to do it episodically. So maybe they get like an episode yeah, one out the door. So that's an important thing to point out. That if, if Final Fantasy, if it is episodic, as long as if anything, if anything comes out of Final Fantasy VII, I say even if it's a fucking demo, I should get that point. <laughs> it's low enough on the list, but maybe I'll give it to you. I am picking Beyond Good and Evil 2. That's what I would have picked out of those. I don't think it's coming out this... Obviously, we're this far down on the list. But just if we're, like, ranking the different probabilities, I don't think Final Fantasy VII is a real game. This is a real game. They've shown it a couple years in a row. Maybe they push it out the door. Who knows? I think your reasoning of that is a little bit flawed in that I think Beyond Good and Evil 2 and Final Fantasy VII Remake are both as much real games as Fair enough. All right. Well, Um, now this is easy. Yeah, now it's Starfield. Like, Starfield is going to come out before Elder Scrolls Six. I feel very confident on that. Todd Howard, Howard told us. Yes. The, told the, us it would be very funny if it, if Elder Scrolls Six somehow came out before Starfield. That would be very strange. Yes. But yeah. All right. Well, we have our drafts. This is what we will follow up on in, in 2019, or 2020 next year in Season 9 of our podcast when we get that fucking far into the future. This will be an episode in the 300s, Sean. When we, uh, God. when we talk about this. But let's go over our drafts again. Which 10 did you pick, thinking most likely to come out to least likely to come out? Okay, so my 10 from my most likely game to come out in 2019 is Dreams from Sony. My number two is Neo 2. My number three is Bloodstained. My number four is Unnamed Battletoads game. My number five is Shinmu 3. My number six is Babylon's Fall, a game that I have almost forgot even what that was. <laughs> If I did that Platinum Games one. Um, number seven is Death Stranding. My number eight is Cyberpunk 2077. My number nine is the Final Fantasy VII Remake. And my number ten is Starfield by Bethesda Games Studios. My number one is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. My number ten is Doom Eternal. My number three is Last of Us 2. My number four is Bayonetta 3. I feel pretty good about these so far. Number five, Skull and Bones. I'm not feeling good anymore. Number six, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Number seven, Ghost of Tsushima. Number eight, Halo Infinite. Number nine, Beyond Good and Evil 2. Number ten, Elder Scrolls 6. Sean, was this draft or the one from last year harder? 
Um, the launch from last year was way harder, okay. I think. Um, just because it was uh, like trying to play that game, especially for some stuff like Soul Calibur Six, where it's like, I don't know, like who who knows? Like we we saw a fucking like a reveal trailer for that game. Who knows when it comes out? Like this, I feel like we've been tracking most of these games for years. Um, yeah. Some of them, like Babylon's Fall, were just announced, but the being just announced makes it feel almost more likely that they're about to come out. Like, I feel pretty confident for both of our one through fours. I'm pretty sure that the whole eight of those games are going to come out this year. Yes. I think I think number five is the battlefield. I think number five for both of us, if Shinmu 3 comes out this year for me, or if Skull and Bones comes out this year for you, I think that's going to be the Kingmaker. And then, and then if not, like, it, it's this runoff match for our number sixes. But past that... Nuh-uh. That's nope. that's a true point. Yes, I don't think anything seven to ten is coming out on either of these. <laughs> yeah, I would be very shocked. Um, okay, so that is it for this week on the podcast. We did a big 2019 preview. Looking ahead, it was fun. Uh, we played some games. We're going to see the results of those games in a year. You know, delayed satisfaction. But yeah, any other thoughts about 2019, Sean? Oh, I'm already exhausted and this year just fucking started. Next week, will you have time for Lord of the Rings? Fucking, I'm probably, I'm not making any promises. I will do my best. I'm just, you know, it would have given me a good, like, segue here to say, this this week we looked into the future of 2019. Next week we're going to go back into the past to look at one of our favorite movies of the past, 2001's Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Sean? Jonathan, I am not here to fucking make your segues. 